This is a HeadGum Podcast. Schedule 35, which is the most trusted and popular micro-dorsing source in North America, helping hundreds of thousands of individuals improve their daily lives. So there's an emerging market around psilocybin. It's proven to uh, help with mental health, PTSD, anxiety, and depression. Studies have shown that psilocybin works by creating new neural networks in the brain, which help boost focus, creativity, mood enhancement, and f- help fight addiction. Schedule 35 ships all across Canada and U.S. is the most notable brand currently in the space. All products come with guides that make microdosing easy to understand. All your customers need to be age verified. Once age verified, 19 plus in Canada, 21 plus in U.S., they will receive an invite code. For all of our products and to get an invite code, please visit www.schedule35.co. Our goal, their goal, and I guess our goal by me advertising for them, is to destigmatize and re-educate on the science and real-world benefits of psilocybin, as well as making it accessible for everyone. Get 15% off with code MIGHTY at Schedule35.co. That's 15% off at Schedule35.co and use code MIGHTY. Start living a life with deeper meaning, more joy, and self-understanding today. That's S-C-H-E-D-U-L-E-3-5.co. All customers will need to be manual age verified first before they're able to purchase from us with their discount code. Shitheads, welcome back to another episode. It's me, your boy, the number one fuckboy, standing six foot two, 298 pounds on the decline. He's from the south shore of Nassau County, Long Island. It's Johnny G. All you gotta do is trust me, Jackson, Maine. John Gaber is the number one fuckboy. Also joining me in the High Mighty Studios, my nearly signed co-host, Arthur Gaber. Arthur, give him a shout-out. Arthur is not currently in here. Don't you worry about that. Also joining me in the High Mighty Studios, a person I've engaged with on this tiny box on my computer a number of times, but this is the first time he won't be wearing a hat. It's Connor Ratliff! <laughs> Describing your in-depth, you know, seven... Yeah. Con- concurrent days of entertainment as George Lucas calling it wearing a hat is really sort no, of No, I like that. I, I like that as a metaphor. It yeah. feels like it's like both of the like the Sondheim books that are that are both like finishing the hat, making the hat. It's just like, yeah, the hat is the thing that I it describes the, the artistic endeavor. <laughs> That's like you just get into character. Like the hat is in a uh, like a loose side box that you open up and throw on. I do sort of consider the spraying up the the white spray that I've cursed myself with the cheap white uh, <laughs> spray that I order. It, it does harden my hair into a kind of hat. Uh, it's funny because doing you know I've been doing this so much more since the pandemic started that I'm, I burn through these bottles of, cause it's a whole bottle of spray to get my beard and my hair and everything. <laughs> and I, I hate doing it to the point where I, it always is a question of like, are we really going to do one? Okay. We're really going to do one. Okay. I'll spray it up. You know, <laughs> it's funny too. Cause it's like, uh, you're like, should I just dye my hair gray and uh, my beard gray? So this, so it just becomes easier. Like you're you trap yourself into a, a character here, and then it, 
eventually you're not going to need any spray and then and no one's going to want to hear from george <laughs> I, it probably like, <laughs> yeah it probably would be a good idea because at first it'd be weird but then it would quickly be kind of classy like i think after once people got used to the shock of it i think people would be like it's kind of classy i think i think you're a guy who can pull off grays like that's that's obvious in my book like you you care you have like erudite you know high status energy you can you you're not that person but you can read as so like graying won't affect you won't knock you down i feel like it'll just keep you in this in this same zone that you're in now yeah if your hair goes white early then it sort of like screws with people's sense of time like that it, it took decades before steve martin started to look even slightly older because he just had this advantage like everyone else was aging around him and he was like timelessly yeah. youthful you know if you get a few grays when you're in your 30s you can feel old but if you if rob hubel's fully white from 28 to 38 when he's 38 he doesn't look that much different than 28 like yeah the first few gray hairs age you so much like ba balding young also like something mm -hmm. is like, damn, my friend looks a little older than the rest of us at 27. Then when everyone gets starts balding in their late 30s, the person who's been with it for a while and is can like you're like, yeah. oh, I'm adjusted to that. You actually the look younger than the people who are just starting to bald. The Bruce Willis move of fully shaving the head, it 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 immediately made him seem younger for a full 12, 20 years. You know, like yeah. it, it, it he really it really just stopped it doesn't feel like he aged that much from Pulp Fiction through, uh, you know, whatever he was, whatever, like Death Wish or something, you know, like <laughs> it felt like it felt like maybe a few years had passed. But he really it, 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 if he had kept having like balding bit by bit, we would have perceived it. Yeah, I think I think that. And then now I'll also go on the other side of that. We talk about this a lot on Action Boys, but having too much hair when you're old, like where it's it's obviously plugs makes mm -hmm. you look older than being bald would. I think. Yeah. Like I think yeah. Pacino is aged a little bit by his. And, and also the people who won't let their the actors, male actors mostly is who I'm talking about, who won't let their hair go gray or fall or go away. So they all have like these weird shoulder length like sandy brown haircuts it's like guys you look like yeah. 80 year old women you could look like 70 year old men if you just buzzed your head or kept your hair short or threw on a fucking uh fedora yeah i but like Chino it needs like a fedora that's all i'm trying to get at is <laughs> throw fedora on the guy yeah, I like it when McCartney lets his hair gray out a little bit. Every now and then it feels like he you see him and he he's gotten it like a little too youthful looking and then every, whenever he's he's kind of not not uh trying to look younger, he always looks better to me. Yes, when he's trying to look younger, I find this with a lot of people, they look a little strung out cuz they're like, "Oh, you are coming across a little younger, but there's something off of between your hair and face." And I'm like, "Do you need sleep? Do you need water?" <laughs> It's because it's a little bit that thing of what the Irishman special effects couldn't hide, which is you can make the person look physically a little younger, but you can't hide that fatigue. Right. Like suddenly you look like, well, you look slightly younger, but you look more tired than you should. Yeah. Wait, you the perfect example from the Irishman is when 
De Niro's got to throw like a gun off of a off of a river, and he's got to kind of walk on rocks. And he's like young De Niro, and the and he gets out. He's like gets out of the car. And he's like oh, he's moving like a seventy year old teamster. And you're like oh, this poor fucking guy. Yeah, and by comparison, when they make him look older than he does, he's just suddenly everything feels more. Uh, <laughs> The problem is when you make De Niro, you make those Irishman guys older than they really are. That means they're finally acting their actual age in a movie. Because, you know, it's like Pacino has been in his 60s playing like 48-year-old cops about to retire forever. You know, it's like when they have to age them up to 70, they're actually playing the age they really are. Hollywood is like fucked up. Like Iron Man has a kid when he dies and he's like Robert Downey Jr. has got to be 59 and he has a one-year-old. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> I I had this, I had a little bit of this um when I started taking improv classes because I started so old. I was 33 when I took 101. So all my improv peers, like how old are you? I'm Davis? 40. All right. So I'm 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 gonna be 47 at the end of August. So I'm I'm almost a decade older than you, but I'm I'm seven years older than you, basically. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm skewed by uh, UCB too. Like the classes above me all are older in my mind and the classes below me are all younger in my mind. Yeah. Like do you, when you talking to me, do you feel like you're talking to an, uh, someone who's that much older than you? No, I do because... not feel like not to take you down a big year. I do not feel like I'm talking to someone younger than me at all, but I right. definitely do not feel like you are like I, Will Hines does that to me too, because Will Hines I always consider my age, and then every once in a while he's like, "Yeah, I just celebrated my sixty-first birthday or whatever," and you're like, Holy "Right," shit, and I think, right? I think you and I it probably balances out a little bit because you have an awareness that you were on the improv scene before me, so you you always have that that seniority never goes away. Right. In my mind, at least for the people I met through that, it's so hard, and it's not even seniority; it's like. Oh, that they're the young guys. Oh, there's right. Connor and Dan Black, the young guys. It's like dudes yeah. who are my age and older. <laughs> and right. <I'm> <laughs> but I had a weird thing because all of my improv peers were about a decade younger than me, which I think made me a better improviser because I realized I couldn't. Uh, I, I, I learned a lot of things like, oh, I can't make pop culture references and assume that anyone will know what I'm talking about because <laughs> a, a full, you know, 10 or 15 years worth of of. Anything that I grew up with or older, because I know a lot of pop culture that's older than me, and I'm right. like, oh, that's completely off limits. <laughs> right. By the and... time by the time you're in your early 30s, it's hard to keep track of modern new pop culture. I'm well aware. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and but then I had such a um then I kind of caught up in that I got bumped up to a team that was like the old team, the team of old people at the theater, and suddenly you know, I find it hard to th- like. I'm older than Shannon O'Neill. I'm older than Chris Gethard. Like, I'm older than people that I think watched of as, coming up. Yeah, I because I think of them as as a th- people that I was in the audience thinking like they've been doing this for a decade by the time I even showed up. You know. Yeah. That's how I feel about like Zach Woods and Gemberling and those people who are like my age and younger and who I. But they were just doing it before me. And I I was doing it in my early 20s. So that's why it triggers even harder if someone went out. Because I started at 21 or 22. But And by the way, this is, we're accidentally, uh, we're just placing like how we know each other ages and all that shit. And we're talking about nostalgia by accident, man. Yeah, we it all ties in because the, the reason I was thinking about it today, 
And I'm, I realize I'm always thinking about nostalgia to some extent because it is both, a, it's a very lovely thing in some ways, nostalgia, and it's also a thing that is constantly fucking us up. Dude, I had, I was trying to, once you said it nostalgia, I was trying to come up with like a log line nostalgia. That's fucking so real. I, I've been thinking about how my nostalgia is good for me is like self-care, but other people's nostalgia is ruining art. And that's like a broken myopic, like that's so obviously not a real worldview, but that is what I'm starting to realize. I'm like, am I, I I'm part of the problem. I'm part of yeah. the over of what I consider a problem. So I think you just phrased it better in that it is good and bad. Not it doesn't matter whose nostalgia it is. Yeah. Well, because some nostalgia, like one of the one a big area of nostalgia that has kind of fucked everything up. If you think about MAGA, make America great again. It's based on this sort of like <laughs> like it's either it's either mistaken. That's like that's a very charitable reading. And some people they're mistaken and that they're thinking about the past wrong. In many cases, it's very much not mistaken. It's people who are like uh, hankering for uh, um, to return to a more uh, uh, what they regard as a better version of the past that is actually not better for everybody. It's maybe better for their idea of themselves. Right. It's like, give the benefit of the, like, we, we can't give, I know it's exactly what you're saying. It's too kind of a thing to be like, make it great again. You're like, you mean when black people couldn't sit at the same counters as white people? And they're like, no, 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 I don't mean it like that. And then some people are like, yes, that would be ideal. I mean, <laughs> right. I'm, and I'm yeah. afraid that that number of some people is, is growing or people are getting break, more and more comfortable saying it or some shit. I'm scary times right now. I, I'm a white straight man who lives in West Hollywood. I'm like as safe as it gets. And it's It's fucking crazy out there. It's a very, it's a complicated thing because here's, I'm going to give you a couple examples that are the reason this was kind of popping around in my mind. Sure. Please. So one was a thing where they were talking about, um, uh, there was articles about Sam Neill talking about the new Jurassic Park movie that's, that's coming out. And he was saying, oh, the new movies are all so fast because you can't make slow movies anymore. It's all just action from the beginning. And he and then and I clicked on the comments of this because I knew what they were going to be. And I just wanted to just see them for a second and then feel good by not reading. Them. <laughs> like I just every now and then I'll do this. I want a reassurance like, oh. that I'm right, but I also don't need to dive into the pit. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just want to open the door to an establishment you don't want to go into and just look around and be like, feel good about I didn't go in. I just kept walking. <laughs> you just um, need the reassurance of like, you know what? I don't like this restaurant. Close the door like, and keep moving. Yeah, I, I'd say this is one of the only things I even do on Facebook anymore. Is I'll when if I see a post that's about a show that's on like what, what Paramount Plus or something that I like, I'll click the comments because it's always just CBS viewers who are furious that anyone would make a show <laughs> that they can't see for free on CBS. <laughs> It used to be I would click on posts about like the good fight and it was just angry older CBS viewers who were like, why would I pay to watch the good fight when I got to watch the good wife for free? Valid argument, Dale in uh, Sarasota, but <laughs> I, but I wonder were those people as angry when Star Trek started making movies? I'll never go to the movie theater. <laughs> right, right, it right. should be free. <laughs> Star Trek's <laughs> on my TV, not on bigger TVs. Okay. And so, but there was a Sam Neill uh, uh, article, and part of it was about how Laura Dern was 23 when the first Jurassic Park was made, and that the age difference between her and Sam Neill was like 
pretty big, but was he in like his mid thirties in that movie? I think he was probably in his forties. I could be wrong about that. Oh, geez, I'm curious. I'm curious. I- let's let, let's. I'll look at. I'll go to the. I'll go to the fact uh, machine and see when Sam Neill was. <laughs> he's born. faxing Sam Neill. You know, it's like the middle of the night in New Zealand. I don't think he's gonna. No, <laughs> I'm gonna fax Sam Neill. Okay, he's 74 now, so he's born in 47. So that puts him at like f- over. He's 40. in his 40s. Yeah, yeah, he's in his 40s, and she's 23. And I think Laura Dern seemed older than 23 at that For point. For sure. Like, she'd I was already done back like, to find Blue out. Blue Velvet was... and yeah. Rambling Rose. And like, she'd already done a lot of like very adult film, uh, like art films. Yes. Yeah. Um, she, she always had she, maturity to her. Like, I never thought she was like a young, she was never came across as like an ingenue. I, I think when I saw Jurassic I think if you asked me how old was Laura Dern in Jurassic Park, I would have said late 20s at the at the youngest, but definitely 30s would have been my guess. Right. When I was a kid, when I saw that movie, I would have said <laughs> everyone is in their 40s except for the kids who are between 10 and 15. Like to me, if yeah. you were a grown up, that was you were 40. Like 40 was a grown up age. Like I didn't understand 20s and 30s. That doesn't mean shit to me. It was like college. Yeah. Then you were 40 and a dad or some shit. Yeah. So, but, but the thing that stuck with me when I was, was Samuel saying, well, movies are all just fast now and you can't make a slow movie anymore. And, and then I clicked the comments and the comments were of course all being like, well, that's because only the first Jurassic Park was good. The rest of these are not as good. And people were complaining and they're saying like, it's because no one makes good movies anymore. And over and over and over saying all these things. And I just kept thinking, Everyone's complaining that movies aren't as good as they used to be. And I thought, I don't think that's true. And I don't think that the things that people are saying, I think people feel differently. But I was thinking about how, like, it really just has to do with we feel differently. But, like, I'm watching Better Call Saul now. And I think a lot of people are watching Better Call Saul. Like, a good amount of people are watching Better Call Saul. There is not a slower paced movie that I can think of from the 1970s than any episode of Better Call Saul, just in terms of like how this is a this is essentially a story that we're watching. It's taking just dozens of hours to tell this story. And some episodes will be like a whole sequence would be like Mike Ehrmantraut taking apart an air conditioner for like 12 minutes. And we don't know why <laughs> they're not going to tell us why he's doing it for another three hours. Yeah. T- uh, Prestige TV. It, I mean, and maybe to a fault because they're trying to make 10 episodes out of a six episode story or whatever. But I think you're right. That shit moves slow and in, in, in not a, com- a way that would make me complain. Like I'm not yeah. like, b- boringly slow, but like methodical, like in old the way we imagine the pace of old movies. And the thing is, if you go back and watch even a lot of very good old movies, a lot of times it's because we've advanced in how we perceive stories that like it used to be that if you watched a cop show or a detective show on TV, if a cop went from one place to the other, they show a shot of them. They got to get watch them leave the building, get into the car, drive the car. We see the car go on the highway then we see it pull into a neighborhood and we see it pull into a then they go into the house. And then at a certain point, you know. I don't think Dick Wolf invented it, but you get to a point where it's just dunk dunk and there's an address and like the cops are in a different place now. Yeah. It's so like I watch a lot of uh, classic action movies for the Action Boys podcast and the amount of your main character exiting a room, 
getting in a car. Bullet has like full on sequences of like Steve McQueen walking, getting his keys out, starting the car, driving the car, to pulling around, da da da, all in like, you know, like all in real long shots. And you're like, this has been 90 seconds of the movie and it's getting s- Bullet from out of the police station and onto the road. Like that's something we could, we could. In modern film, you could go like, "Yeah, you got to go meet with the senator," and then just show Boom, him knocking the on the <laughs> yeah, yeah. knocking on the senate door. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and our nostalgia, which is infused with our our feeling of what we've lost, it's like it's this it's this like it's this like haze that that washes over us because when we think about like how good it felt to watch a movie when we were a kid. Versus how good anything feels when you start to get older. Um, right, right. You know, like, because... <laughs> Ouch, but yes. <laughs> well, and it's not it's not just, like, because even when I would suggest that a lot of the things that make things faster or make stories faster are actually progress, but just take any person. Like, 20 years goes by, 30 years goes by, and people, they lose people, you know, they, they, they have, you know, a, a, a parent dies or a sibling dies or a spouse dies or, you know, any number of bad things happen over time and it gets folded into us. And I think that nostalgia feeling, I think it pulls on those negative feelings sometimes in ways that are manipulative, which is like, it's sort of like cashes in some of that negativity. Yeah. How funny like, was Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters, because your dad was still alive when you watched it. And you're yeah. like, uh, yeah, maybe that's uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're right. I, I I missed the Ghostbusters. I'll watch Afterlife. <laughs> oh yeah, it's oh, there's literally dead old men in this movie coming back to bless the kids with their interesting hobbies. Too real, too real. They know, they know. Like it feel like it, it. It's a little seems a little like. Uh, what was the Bradley Cooper Nightmare Alley? Like they're playing with the wrong parts of our psyche. Like they're gonna activate us into a bad what like. It's going to make us go crazy. I mean, I think we yeah. are feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think people are going crazy. Based on my so- limited experience, my anecdotal experience of re-entering the same world that other people are, and I did a lot of traveling in this last six months, uh-huh. uh, people are bubbling. People yeah. are, yeah. Public, yeah. public seems intense. The public just seems a little more high stakes than it used to. I... um. It's funny that you should mention Ghostbusters because I think this ties into the second thought that I have, which is that we want to keep our good feelings always good forever. We want them to be um, to stay feeling the same way. And it's kind of impossible because things change. We learn things. We uh, even things that are an improvement sometimes make us feel like, wait, you're trying to make me feel bad about a thing I used to feel good about. I think there are a lot of things when you watch the original Ghostbusters now that are pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it's it's a celebration of uh, corporate, like free enterprise. It's a very Reagan era movie for considering that those guys probably thought they were the ultimate rebels at that time. It's a very conservative movie politically in that it's basically the bad guy is the government regulator and they just want to open up a, a nuclear reactor in the middle of Manhattan with no, no paperwork. And, uh, and our hero is this guy who is, you know, like pushes his way into a woman's apartment and is kind of aggressive in a way that now, 
that character I don't think would be charming. I think it just barely gets away with it because it's Bill Murray. Right. Um, and while that watch, is that, that's even tainted. Oh, yeah. And now, uh, and now, <laughs> like, you watch Peter Venkman now and you're like, well, there have been some complaints. And right. you're like, well, of course. Because <laughs> look at how this was the best of, of Peter Venkman we were seeing. This was the peak Murray. Dude, um, this, this, you're saying, uh, I'm going to, We'll get back to this one second. Jump to nostalgia kind of rounds the edges of stuff in the like, you know what I mean? And you're like, yeah. And this is the, I think something for both of us, uh, a good analogy is, oh, this SNL cast isn't as good as blank. And yeah. I feel like there's a lot of, uh, you know, confirmation bias in that. Like you're only remembering the funny parts of Ghostbusters. You're only quoting you 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 might not even be remembering the funny lines in Ghostbusters. You're remembering you and your friends in class laughing yeah. at and the flowers are still uh, you're laughing at your friend doing a Slimer impression when he puts three hot dogs in his mouth. You're not laughing at. And so you you round it all up and you like forget the bad stuff. I feel like the same way with SNL where people yeah. are like, it wasn't that good then. I'm like, no, because you remember the best of Will Ferrell. There was 90 minutes every night then, too, guys. I, for, I, I hope, I don't know what happens after we die, but I hope some of it involves every person who ever said something implying that a previous era of Saturday Night Live was markedly better. <laughs> I hope part of their after-death experience is full episode rewatches. <laughs> yeah, they're forced. <laughs> like, like... Everybody was like, well, it was great in the early days. I defy any of those people to watch a full episode of Saturday Night Live 1977. Dude, I bought the first season on DVD, like when it was being sold. And I was like, oh, cool. And I started watching. I was like, this is boring there's there's a lot there's a lot of good stuff but there's boy, a lot oh of good stuff but you know it because it's been repeated yeah. and shown in clips and rem reminisced about with other people so like that stuff stays in your mind and the bad shit kind of sifts away a little and it's not even it's not even like it's it's shockingly bad it's actually when you find yourself watching like a seven or eight minute sketch that stars bill murray that nothing in it is funny in a current context not because there's anything bad it's just a boring sketch yeah. and it's because guess what they had a week to write it and they had to do everything that they <laughs> came up with that week that week it was just a you know uh but it but is there like, was no there was no online community where everyone in america or there was not like a a phone chat line they could open up where everyone in america can get around and talk about how bad uh saturday night live was so it yeah. didn't stick yeah and but it, but so this is why the the, th the other thing I was thinking about. Okay, so uh, I had this thought, and I don't think we're going to act on it, so I'll just go ahead and <laughs> say it. But I had this uh, memory of um, so Planet Scum, which is what the George Lucas talk show has been, what we've been on for the past during the pandemic. Planet Scum is ending, and we're so we're moving our show over to the uh, Paul Shears uh, Friend Zone Twitch channel. And I was thinking. Do you remember when NBC used to do, um, they do these commercials just sort of celebrating like how NBC is the place to be. And they would have <laughs> actors from all of their shows dancing and singing. And every year they'd film a new one. They'd write a new song that would just be like, NBC, it's the <laughs> only place to be. And it would be like a be four like, minute song. Yeah, yeah. And like step by step cast is like, oh, you know, like people are just coming out and doing their thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and you'd watch it and you'd kind of be like, There'd be 
a sense of like who had high status and low status by the fact that it's like, oh, the cast of Amen and the cast of Golden Girls were told, you guys have to all show up. You have to all be there together dancing at the same time. But then Johnny Carson, it's like, you only have to be here for one hour of one day and you film by yourself. (laughs) Johnny Carson just like blow up a balloon and go like, oh boy. And just like, we we cut to Johnny Carson because Johnny's not there for more than the five or 10 minutes it takes to film his shot. It feels like a a fraternity uh, sketch video where it's like the seniors are in it for like one cool part, like smoking (laughs) with like sunglasses on and the pledges of all like shot and edit and doing all like the fucking body work and stuff. Yeah. So it's like, so it's like Johnny didn't Johnny wasn't there hanging out with the cast of Night Court dancing and, and <laughs> right. you know, like so these videos are all um so I was thinking like we're not gonna this way too much effort George Lucas talk show is not gonna film some music video where we sing about how great it is to move to a new <laughs> channel but I was thinking how funny this was so I will go to YouTube I look up these videos and I remember the same thing that I forget every time these because every now and then these things will pop into my head and I'll be like, oh, those were funny. I remember as a kid even thinking, it's funny that it's just like they work in an office. They all had to do this. Like, they just want to make their TV shows. But they all had to show up and pretend that they love partying with the other shows on the network. And somebody wrote a song. But here's the thing. The era in which this was happening, the undisputed king of NBC at that time was Bill Cosby. So he's at the center of all of these. They are all built around like Bill Cosby shows up and he's like the conductor and he's like, (laughs) you've got like the cast of quantum leap pretending to be like the musicians or something. And he's like (laughs) conducting them. And it's, and it's something that now it's impossible for me to watch it and just feel the fun feeling of nostalgia because I know things now that we didn't know. And I didn't know when I was a kid and he was just the very talented creator of one of the most likable and popular shows on TV. But now we know what he is, which is that he is a monster. And not only is he a monster, he's a monster who part of his methodology for hiding that he was a monster was his talent and his charm. So yeah. this the it very arguably th- worked on us as well, which is like, we're, yes. us, we're arguably we're duped by. Yeah. It. And and, you know, the reason that he's at the center of this, this party is because of the thing that it, it, it's like, it's like if your favorite thing about someone is their fast car and then you find out, oh, it was their getaway vehicle, you know, right, that right. like, yeah, you're like, that oh. it's sort of like, it's not really a cool car now when I see it. Cause you realize like, that's what they used to get away from all the crimes, you know? Yeah. Oh, um, interesting. I like that analogy. And so, but nostalgia well, being you, yeah. you saying Bill Cosby is a great example because earlier you were I forget the exact phrasing of what you said, but you said something along the lines of like, um, we've we've changed and that's hard and that's hard on us to remember that. Uh, and I think I think that's part of the reason nostalgia is part of the reason why people will go down with Cosby with yeah. with Depp or uh, with whoever, because that's Jack Sparrow. That's Dr. Huxtable. That's like, they're so, and they are willing to be like, like, I mean, pick, pick any, pick anyone who's in like hot water. Now there are people who are defending them and it's defending them because they don't want to have to change their viewpoint. And I understand it's difficult to like lose a lot of stuff, like be 
it's difficult to be able to go back and enjoy things you once enjoyed once you know some fuck. But that is what the wheel of time goes on. Not to and, quote and uh, some. <laughs> uh, and I'm gonna compare it. I'm gonna make a comparison, please. Um, that I think is apt, and I hope it doesn't offend people. Uh, but hip, it's a, hip I, fire I, comparisons are like what High and Mighty's built on. So go for it. <laughs> like. I'm not a vegetarian. I have real trouble with vegetables. I struggle to try to eat healthier. And there are times when I'm able to kind of almost accidentally be vegetarian. It's not that I'm healthier. It's just like, oh, I didn't buy meat and I made pasta all week. Um, right, right. <laughs> and it's like, I liked all my meals, but I didn't think of them as vegetarian meals. I just ate a different kind of unhealthy food. Um, but my mom is vegetarian. And... um and I know a lot of people, a lot of people who are vegetarian or vegan or, and, and people have different levels of struggle with it. My mom was the first person in my life who became vegetarian, who I witnessed like becoming vegetarian. Ooh, what brought, what brought that on with her? She, um, for a few years she worked, I grew up in Missouri and, uh, she grew up in Ireland. Her dad was a butcher and that's how uh, you, that's why you have dual citizenship. Yeah. Yeah. That's so and. Bad. So for a few years, one of my mom's jobs was she started working for, I won't say an animal rights group because it's Missouri and it's, it's really, it's just an anti-animal cruelty group. Basically, she was just trying to get cockfighting outlawed in Missouri. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're still wholesale slaughtering animals for consumption, but let's yeah. like, let's not make chickens fight each other. Fair. And, and that is, and, that is fair. <laughs> and I would say, and I would say. It wasn't that they thought they were going to stop cockfighting from happening. It was more just the principle of, can we at least agree that like, can we get people on record saying it's bad? Like, <laughs> I, I think, I don't think they were, I don't think they thought they were going to stop it. They just wanted whatever <laughs> local sheriff was supervising the, the, the fights and going by and watching them that that sheriff would be, would know that it's like, I'm not supposed to be doing this, you know? Right. Right. Um, it was just almost like a ceremony. And for years she would, um, they were trying to get a bill passed to outlaw cockfighting. And it didn't happen until like a year or two after she stopped because every year it would lose. Um, there was this guy who would come in and testify in the in the in the Missouri uh, State Senate or whatever. And this guy would bring this this rooster in every year. And he would always act like it was the same rooster. It was clearly not the same rooster. But he'd be like, this here's uh, lucky and he lives in the lap of luxury. And he would like give a speech about how great these chickens had it. Um, and. My mom, I think, because she worked on this for a few years, she just got to a point where she, I remember her saying, like, she didn't like the idea of eating anything that had a face. And, um, cause there is like, there's a reason, there's a reason why. a solid why, case. There's a, that's a, a good there, reason. There's a reason it. why we abstract it, why we don't eat faces. Right. Is because I the think. The cheeks are fucking delicious, fam. <laughs> and, <laughs> but I, I noticed a, for my mom giving up meat it was still like she would sometimes like she'd be like oh that bacon smells good oh i wish i could eat that or there'd be things that she would sort of crave but she gave it up because she's like i don't like the idea of it and there were other things she could eat and but it was a sacrifice there are other people like my sister um she grew up and she was the kind of kid who would come in and my mom be cooking dinner and my sister would be like yum broccoli she like smelled broccoli cooking. And I always kind of envied it because I'm like, I wish I liked broccoli. Then I would want to eat it. I know, I know it's good for me. Um, 
But there are people who are vegetarian or vegan who really like vegetarian and vegan food. They get, oh, this is so delicious. Oh, I made this delicious. And then there are people who are like convincing themselves they like it, who are like, oh, this carob is every bit as good as chocolate. And and you just know, but there's a struggle. There's a spectrum of struggle for um, how easy it is to be a vegetarian. Yeah, it's like a spectrum of sacrifice for the person. And, yeah. and sometimes I, it bug, it bugs me when I see someone that I'm like, I know that you're an easy vegan. And sometimes there'd be an easy vegan who'll also be a judgy vegan. And I think like, oh, that's the worst when it's like, this is easy. You're doing what you like. And then you're telling other people to like, you should do this. It's better for the planet and it's better. And you just know like, well, it's not a sacrifice for you. You know, it's like, if I found out that doing improv shows like helps the environment, and then I suddenly became like, shame on you. you know? Oh, there's nothing. I've, there's nothing like uh, some praise being uh, thrown at an activity or a thing or a, an object that you already do or have. That oh. like people are always like, you got to drink a lot of water to be healthy. I'm like, that is actually something I've always done because I'm a stoner and a meathead. But now I'm like, I'm always like, I drink a lot of water at like parties and shit. And it's like <laughs> people are like, I know I have a hard time. I'm like, yeah, you got to do it though. And it's like I you just already it. was doing it. I didn't even do it because I need. Like I just did it because I thought I was thirsty. So the, 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 the tie in I'm going to make with this is that some people find it very easy. Like they find out that an actor is a piece of shit and they're like, I'm done. I'm done with Jack Sparrow. I'm done with him. I don't need the pirates movies anymore. I used to like him. Now I don't, I'll never watch him again. Some people, those movies are their favorite movies and they're a real source of joy. And, but they also don't like the idea of like, I don't like the, the idea of knowing that this actor is an abusive person or that this, you know, like, and it's, a, and that's a struggle. And then there are other people who fully dial into like, I don't care. Like they'll either get in the denial of like, no, he's not. Or they'll be like, I don't care if he is Jack Sparrow isn't. And I can, I can make a disconnect between those right. two things, you know, <laughs> that, you know, it's like, there are people who are like, I'm going to fucking listen to my Phil Spector Christmas album. And I don't care if he killed anyone. Merry Christmas. You know, like where it's just like, um, there's different degrees of how people are able to process. Uh, and I have, I have real difficulty with it. Cause when I love a piece of pop culture and then there's like, uh, new information about a person who made it, um, I struggle with that because I'm like, is it bad that I still enjoy it? Should I feel bad? Uh, this is, this is something it's, we literally just started talking about this on action boys yesterday in reference mm -hmm. to the documentary crumb. We watched mm -hmm. crumb and it's like, we love his art. We love the story of it, but it is like, you know, some of his art is right. Uh, objectively racist and some of it mm -hmm. is objective objectively misogynistic or violent towards women but at the same yeah. time it's like the time period was different we're watching it in 2022 is he still doing art like that does that affect it is like is it okay to like the original pirates movies uh because you the context in which you first saw them but maybe you don't go to the next pirates movie that they make after all this information has come out about the person like right. is it okay to go back and watch uh Woody Allen movies or is it just better that you oh I watched them and I like them back in the day but I don't need to revisit certainly not going to jump on any new ones 
But is right. there anything like, hey, I already like this movie? Like, like what? And and also, there is no real personal barometer. I'm not going to get in trouble if I watch Manhattan in my house. Like, right. like no one is going to come in and or like that's not going to go on my record in any way. But at the same right. time, I don't want to support it. But is it actually supporting the awful shit? The person it's just such a it's such a complex situation to like wade into. And I feel like ill equipped, but I can't. It is something that's on my mind a lot lately because. But it's it, and this is where nostalgia comes into it, because I think nostalgia is a big factor in. Um, you know, our, our reckoning with the past and the way that our feelings about the past just pull on us, you know, because, you know, I, I feel like there are certain artists that, um, and, and you also notice that people at different ages, like people who are 20 years older than us who talk about some of the same people will be much more relaxed about, they'll just openly say like, Oh, uh, Woody Allen was a hero of mine. And the, they kind of won't even feel the need to say like anything to contextualize. Right. The thing. Well, and, and that's maybe because in their lifespan, it was longer, not a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, but we're, we're entering our, our age groups is like, we've, we've known about Woody for a long, or like, you know, it's been like common. Like, I wonder how, uh, Bill Cosby's not even making new because I was about to say I wonder how people ten years from now will like ten years younger than us feel about Cosby, but they don't have any attachment to the Cosby Show, probably. Yeah, and it, and it's something like a younger generation is not going to feel the need to seek out. Um, although, if you go into any uh, used record store in America and you go to their comedy LP section, uh, you can find a fair number of Bill Cosby LPs as everybody seems to have abandoned their collections at the same time. Uh, and they don't seem to be flying off the shelves from what I can, from what I can tell, there seems to have been a moment where the, the people who owned Bill Cosby records versus the people who bought records, uh, or record collections to sell in the record stores. There was a moment where those record stores <laughs> didn't realize we're never going to be able to unload. these. Yeah. I hope there's some record store that is like at like critical mass with fucking, uh, Bill Cosby. albums. <laughs> it's like, well, we need to announce a sale, but what do we call it? Um, I, but it, it is, you know, we, it's, it's, dangerous because we want to be able to feel good about the things that we, we want to be able to feel good about things that we liked growing up. Right. And, and, but then there's another aspect of this that, that I think, I I think about all the time, which is like people who are just angry at most new things. Like, like I keep thinking about the 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 and 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 he he says it in a nuanced way, but like the thing that keeps coming up was just Scorsese talking about Marvel movies. Right, right. And and some of this is just very savvy. Like I think he knows that when he brings it up, it it adds it gets a little bit a few more people, oh watch the Irishman or you know, I'll watch oh. Irishman if only to be like I prefer Ragnarok, but yeah. you know um, <laughs> but at least oh my God. tuning in. <laughs> kind of makes me wish there was a sequel just called the Irishman Ragnarok. <laughs> um, the Irishman love and thunder. Um, the, I, I think like Scorsese has, has said that if he was a kid now, he'd probably really be into the Marvel movies. 
because a lot of it is they're just not directed at him. Like they're he's not the target yeah. audience. Yeah, I don't think and, I I, th- I don't think I am anymore. I thought I was when it first uh happened. Like I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm a, I read comic books my whole life and I love movies. This is perfect." And now I'm like, I don't know if this is for me anymore. And I'm not complaining. I never like thought it should be only for me, but it's definitely I'm a it's a my tastes are maybe a little too mature for Marvel movies these days. Well, and it, but it is also a thing where, like, on some level, I bet if you got into a longer conversation with Scorsese, the idea of um, making a huge interconnected world in which the movies were in conversation with each other, and then there were like, like, here's the thing that I think went what 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 he's actually talking about to some extent when he says like, Marvel movies aren't cinema, and and whenever you hear people talking about like, well cinema is dying and now it's just content and now it's this now it's that um i actually kind of think that the thing that scorsese is lamenting is he grew up and it and cinema was the thing that you went to a movie theater to experience and television was a thing that you watched that kind of diminished it was a bad screen it was a, the wrong shape uh, if you watched a movie, they had to ruin it visually just to fit it in a different size box. And um, and movies were just a superior experience of storytelling. Um, you even fairly recently have that thing of David Lynch saying the idea of watching a movie on your phone. Um, right. I actually think to some extent, depending on how you're watching a movie on your phone, like I'm sometimes in my apartment and I have a TV that's a decent sized screen, but I realize when I hold up my phone to my face and I look at how big in perspective my TV is, I'm like, this is actually more like a movie screen. Cause I'm, I can see the detail of every, it's, it's huge. And I have the lights turned off and the, the sound is going right into my ears. Dude. I, I love the theater experience so much, but I, on planes, watch a movie on my iPad from a foot away with noise canceling headphones on, and I'm in the movie as much as I possibly can be. I love the communal theater experience. I am 40, so I know mm-hmm. that's how I think you're supposed to see movies. But I think some people, I think some people go too much of like, I got to watch at home where I could be laying down, eating, you know, uh, pausing it. Get like some people go too far of like movies suck. But I think you could get a decent experience out of both. I th- I think. There is an argument to be made that if you have a good phone or a good iPad, a good screen, and you're watching it in a way that's completely, I know what you think immersive has to be that we build a giant IMAX screen and we have a projector the size of a Volvo and, you know, we, we, right. but, but it still involves, uh, and, and I think, uh, this is a side argument, but obviously I would rather watch a comedy with an audience because I like the communal feeling of laughter. Yeah. Yeah. And that I, helps, I think of, it helps I think of, one's enjoyment. I think horror and. And com- I mean, horrors can can get you scared alone. Comedy yeah. can't make you laugh a- alone the same way. Uh, I horror. think about I think about I'm not and I'm that, this isn't even one of my favorite Will Ferrell movies, but I I remember I don't remember what happened. I remember there was a scene in Talladega Nights where the audience we were laughing so hard at what was happening, and whatever it was, I guarantee if I watched it right now on my TV in my apartment, I would not laugh out loud, no matter how fun. Even if I was like, oh yeah, that is really funny. Yeah, it just doesn't hit but, the same way. But if I'm watching like 
if I'm watching a, a David Lynch movie on my uh, Samsung Galaxy Note 9 in a dark room with headphones and I'm holding the phone a few inches from my face and you're all, and you're not getting any text or anything like that, then how, how much more immersive can you get? I think it's almost a, an intimate IMAX. It's almost like an IMAX for one. It's almost like um, it, it's definitely preferable to the idea that um, you can be in a movie theater and guess what? At a key moment, somebody can who's in front of you can stand up to leave to go get something else to eat to bring back in or to go take a shit. And then they come back in. You wait for them. You know, like, oh, they're going to come back in. I saw men yesterday and I had this exact thought because I was like, I love seeing the movies. I pick my specific seat. I feel like everyone puts their phones away, like, or most people put their phones away. I mm-hmm. put my phone away, most importantly. Like, and I'm like, yes, I'm at the theater now. Airplane mode, no one could reach me, blah. But then a guy yeah. sits down like two seats away from me, and I'm like, fuck, the theater's not even full, and he's sitting two seats away from me. And then I'm sitting there, and then he eats like, and I was laughing with Tiffany about, we were very stoned, but I was laughing with <laughs> Tiffany during this because I was like, I think the dude next to me is starting his third course of food he had eaten like every hot bar item from amc he had like pizza pretzel bites popcorn drink and he was chewing and eating like well i try to i'm usually done with my snacks by the time the trailers are done that's an issue i'm dealing with overall <laughs> but he he's like i'm like this dude is and i'm in my head going this guy's fucking eat and now i'm like i'm distracted by a guy i'm paying a premium to come here where there's no distractions and it's crazy that we live in a world now and and this is all going through my head obviously you know a sort of meta distraction on distraction i start analyzing the idea of being distracted i'm like why is it that i have to leave my home to try not to get distracted why am i so able to get distracted in my own home a place where i should be able to successfully do <laughs> yeah. whatever i want it's like oh, of course the public place where you can go see a movie should have more distractions in it but it do- and i'm like what is why can't I achieve that at home? And it's like, it's yeah. not the same. It's just not like, it, and there's so much going on there because the crowd adds to the movie, but also takes away from it. And it can personally take away from it. Yeah. Being alone adds enjoyment to the movie, but could take away from it. Like it's just such a six of one, half a dozen of the other type situation. But it's funny that you're talking about this because I literally distracted myself for like 10 minutes during a movie wondering about distraction and how it works and like and and then i went in my head i'm all then on the way home i'm talking to tiffany about this exact conversation then i'm all in my head about like how over the pandemic we got adjusted to not having to be around other people so all our behavior adjusted to like singular behavior and now we're back in public but we're still bringing that home behavior and i and like it almost needs to be like announced again at like bars and restaurants and movie theaters of like all right people we're back in public again just remember that other people exist and you're not in your home and and you have to remember that and don't forget shame just in case like carry a little shame in like your behavior so that you're like oh this is something one should do at home when you take your shoes off and put your socks up on the seat in front of you like that's home shit not public shit yeah, I mean, I sometimes find myself thinking in in the current phase of the pandemic that we're in, whether at least to some extent 
my my insistence on continuing to mask anytime I go into a building has to do with the fact that I sort of haven't given up the uh well, I'm just going to go to the grocery store in my pajamas and it doesn't matter because I'm wearing a mask. <laughs> right, right. I don't want to slide back to like, if I keep pretending it's going on, I can keep the other <laughs> bad behavior too. I, I I hear you on that. <laughs> I, 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 because during the pandemic, I fully, I remember seeing Nick Nolte on a, on a TV show about how he was be, trying to be healthy in the, it was like in the late nineties, early two thousands. And it was this amazing news segment about how, I'm growing organic vegetables. And he's like, I'm testing myself. And he was like taking his own blood samples and stuff. And, and but they just showed him, he showed up for the interview. He was just wearing pajamas. And I always thought like, man, he's like, he doesn't care. He's just Nick Nolte. He's just wearing his pajamas wherever he goes. And during the pandemic, I just sort of was like, oh yeah, I get it. Yeah. I have not gone back to jean to pants that have buttons and zippers. Uh, I am, I have, sought out I, i've i'm i am back out in public i literally shot a full season of a tv show where i needed to be dressed differently every day and not repeat really because you kind of want to make the t- so and i still almost exclusively wore elastic waisted pants like <laughs> i sought them out i like sought out ways to get like oh these are khaki joggers with uh elastic waist pants this is what I want to wear from here. So I buy five pairs and now I'm like, <laughs> I I've like carried that behavior with me. And I feel like the way we talk about my uh, Tiff's grandma or my, my great grandma who kept all her money in a stocking her uh, or all the money in a coffee cup because they lived through the depression. I think because oh, we yeah. lived through COVID, we're going to have all these like weird behaviors where it's like, yeah, uh, Uncle Connor still goes to this. <laughs> he still gets his coffee every morning with his sleeping cap and his little candle on a stand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. All of that stuff was like, well, yeah, he lived through the pandemic, so he never really he never really got back to normal behavior. Get your greens, man. Athletic greens, that is. I started taking my powdered athletic greens every morning because it was a super easy buy-in to doing something healthy. It gets you 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in your system, not to mention a glass of water first thing. And also, it's the first step. Taking a first healthy step in the day means you may take some more healthy steps, and it's awesome. I've been uh, on it for weeks now, and it has like a mild tropical taste, but I, I enjoy it, and I've, I've come to enjoy it. So I now take it every morning or in a protein shake later on that day, depending on that day's plans. Uh, so for me, just an easy entry-level piece, of, like low-lift piece of health that you could do for yourself, like getting extra sleep and chugging water, like all these things that are just easy, kind of lazy. You know what I mean? Lazy is like in a good way. Supports better sleep and quality, supports mental clarity and alertness, uh, less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything. And it's just, you know, a lot of people take multivitamins and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. Uh, look, it's 
It has over 7,000 five-star reviews. Uh, it's all-in-one nutritional insurance. Costs less than $3 a day, and it's cheaper than chasing down all the supplements yourself. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash mighty. That's A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C-G-R-E-E-N-S dot com slash M-I-G-H-T-Y. Again, that's athleticgreens.com mighty to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Caw-caw, caw-caw, caw-caw. Woof, woof. That's right. That's the call of the bird dogs. Bird dogs have completely changed the game. Bird dogs, shorts, pants, and joggers are made from the highest quality material and come with built-in liners that cradle your stovepipe for all-day comfort. Who the fuck likes being uncomfortable? If you're not wearing bird dogs this summer, you probably poop with your pants on. It's time to upgrade to the shorts and pants of the future. Your balls will thank you. Go to birddogs.com and enter promo code MIGHTY. M-I-G-H-T-Y, and they'll throw in a free Bird Dogs Yeti tumbler. They found Yeti's $90 tumbler, copied it, and now Bird Dogs has given it to you for free. That's birddogs.com, promo code MIGHTY, M-I-G-H-T-Y, and boom, a free Bird Dogs tumbler with your pair of Bird Dogs. All you have to do is visit birddogs.com, promo code MIGHTY. You will not take these things off, I promise. Caw-caw, Cycling back to what I so I think Scorsese's thing about oh, like sorry, sorry, yeah. cinema. No, no, because it, it's all tied in. It's all because we're going to be nostalgic about the pandemic at some point. You know. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I think we already kind of are. <laughs> the second you're on, the second you're on some planes with uh, the new the new kind of energy people are carrying around. Uh, you're I know you're flying out to L.A. in a in a yeah. bit. Uh, Take a gander I've, around and be like, maybe it wouldn't be so bad to be stuck in my house for another few months. <laughs> I, I had to fly to my I had to fly to Miami last week, so I've already witnessed the worst version of what an airplane can be now. <laughs> yeah. um, I the, the the last flight I was on, the flight attendant made an announcement that said, like, and of course masks are optional. We just ask that you respect other people's decisions on the plane as to what they choose to do. And I'm like, now they have to also just make sure because now people who don't wear are like. The amount of people who said to me, you don't need to wear that in here. You don't have to have that yeah. on in here. The th- yeah. When I had it on while traveling, I was like, <clears throat> oh, no, I know. <laughs> yeah. I, my my stand, I haven't had that yet, but my, my go-to response for that was, yeah, I tested positive for COVID this morning, so I feel like I should wear it. <laughs> um, the uh, As you walk away, I kind of walk off with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's good. The, the, um, but I do think... I think that Scorsese's thing, and not that he's not uh, uh, correct in some ways about it, but I think a lot of it, you know, he's talking about, well, you can't really make movies anymore. It's all corporate. It's all Marvel. It's all this. And he's thinking back to like the, his era of the 70s when, you know, the, the, the film students sort of took over Hollywood and they got to make these movies like Mean Streets and Taxi Driver and The Godfather. And, you know, like all these things were happening where it was sort of like the, the artist's the, the directors all got to make these like important films and they, it wasn't so corporate. But I also think that in some ways, the thing that's fueling his feeling is that it's almost like the same thing I would have about thinking about 
Thursday nights on NBC, where it's like, it used to be that like Thursday night was the most exciting night of the week. And this happened for a long time that like, must see TV was a huge part of my upbringing. Yeah. That it was true in the eighties. It was true in the nineties. It was even true in a less popular way. But like when that era of when it was like 30 rock in the office and like, they were still trying in the, it was like two thousands. Yeah. Comedy, comedy night done right. Where they was like parks and Parks and and 30 rock. And, and, and it was like all my favorite shows are happening on a Thursday night. And you know, now we sort of have, there'll be a, there will come a time when like Sunday night on HBO might not be a thing anymore. And we'll kind of be like, Oh, what happened? It used to be that Sunday night, there'd be a, a new show that everyone would be excited about. It's happening on HBO. And, but it's, it's sort of ridiculous to try to think that the fact that Thursday nights and NBC didn't last forever as a phenomenon is a sign that like culture has declined. It's just right. that there was a thing that we were used to and then it changed and I'll never not have a slightly sad feeling about oh, Thursday nights. And there was a point where, um, I mean, I was even sad during the era of thir- there was a period where NBC would do a thing where there was a period where I remember it was Cosby show, family ties, cheers, night court. And then I think LA law. And I'm like, I like all of these shows. And then I think they moved family ties to another night. And then there was a realization that NBC had was like, why are we wasting, like, why do we have four great sitcoms in a row? Just put the great sitcom at the top of the hour and then put something else in the half hour. What are you going to do? Go watch something else for a half hour? And so they would, they would move. You couldn't, like, Cheers and Frasier were back to back for a while. And at a certain point, like, we're moving Frasier to Tuesdays. You don't get an hour. I feel hour. like they did that with Friends and Seinfeld. And, oh, no, and, it was, and, no it was, yeah, it was Seinfeld and Frasier. That's what it was, because Frasier was after Cheers. It was Seinfeld and Frasier. And then they moved Frasier, because it was like, no, 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 no. We're going to put just whatever after Seinfeld. We're going to try to launch a third show or another yeah. show, and it's going to do better if it's in between two shows people are locked in to watch. Yeah. Yeah, and you would kind of see, in some ways it probably was great because it gave certain shows chances, but there also was a sense of like, we're going to spread our great shows throughout the week, so you, you kind of have to watch every night. And yeah. and we don't, and the other show doesn't have to be as good as Seinfeld. It can be whatever. We can put it here, and you're already, we already know you're coming back to watch ER, at 10 o'clock or at nine o'clock. Yeah. At that, at the end of prime time, you're going to come back for ER. The amount of ER I watched as a kid, because yeah. my mom was a nurse. So I thought it was like cool to see a hospital, but also at the same time, the mo- it was just like, can we watch the first 15 minutes of ER? Just like, just to get yeah. more awake time. All right. First commercial. And then it would be kind of a cool story. You'd be like, can we get one more commercial? Like fighting just to wait to brush your teeth. Yeah. Like, like yeah. <laughs> all right, brush your teeth on this commercial. But then you come back and you can sit down for one more act break. And it's like, yes, yes. It's like you're rooting to watch a 90s <laughs> hour long drama for adults just because it's not sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Just just let me yeah, let me let this day go a little longer. <laughs> yeah, don't make me go to sleep. Don't make it end. I'm having fun. But but now we live in an era where we don't watch TV that way. No. And and I have nostalgic feelings about it. But I also think. When I hear, this is the thing, when I hear Scorsese talk about cinema and how, like, now it's not the same, I also think, like, it's just different. Because I think there's a lot more people getting to do interesting TV shows. And a lot of TV shows are basically like, 
you know, like there was this period where a lot of Bergman movies are actually like things he did for like Swedish television that like the reason the movie is like six hours long is because it was like four episodes of a thing made for like they watched right. it in T like it was stuff that came out on TV in Europe probably. And then it would get released as one long Swedish movie in America or something like that. <laughs> that would happen with different things. Like Lars von Trier made a TV show called the kingdom and they got released in theaters in like Britain and American places as if it was like a five hour movie. <laughs> and, but I do think there's like a lot of people who there's a lot of TV shows. And I'm like that TV show feels like what I would call cinema because right. It's sophisticated because I see, you see people like lamenting that like, well, you can't make a movie like Kramer versus Kramer anymore because it wouldn't go in a movie theater. Instead, you'd, you'd make it'd be marriage story on Netflix or it would be like, uh, you know, this really great TV show. Like, like uh, I, th- I think I think what you're saying, I, I, I could jump in here, too, because yeah. I, I know what you're saying. Like. It feels like prestige TV kind of took the adult drama thing, like or like the adult storytelling thing. Like you saying Kramer versus Kramer actually kind of unlocked it for me because uh, if you want, and now the Hoffman and Streep level actors are doing television. Literally, both yeah. of them are. Uh, but other people of that t- caliber are doing TV. TV's not for the you know, it's not the second hand now. It's 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 up there, and then so you got. Uh, you know, people making Olivia Coleman is making TV shows and it's like, that's an adult drama TV show d- led by an actor who carries movies. In, yeah. And it's like, what are you seeking in the cinema experience now? And there is a lot of backlash to, uh, it's just a six hour movie we're making here at Tokyo vice or whatever. But at the same time, who cares if that's the vibe that the creator wants to put into his movie? More power to him. If that's the lie he wants to tell himself so that he's stoked that he's on Hulu and not in, you know, MGM. But, but, but what is also- even movie theater? Like, what is even like where it's released matter? Everything is kind of fucked. The only thing that the only thing that bothers me is I I I think I'm not I'm nostalgic for the must see TV Thursday night. Like I I understand it going away. We're nostalgic mm-hmm. for something that doesn't need to yeah. exist anymore. But the upsetting thing that it the is the reason that it doesn't exist anymore is because if any one of these streamers or networks had four good shows, they would never like they would spread them out so they would give it to us like one morsel at a time because if you had four successful shows, could you imagine putting a two-hour brick together of four successful sh- Like, no. You, you would stagger their releases. You would stagger. You would try to launch other shows off their backs. It just wouldn't happen anymore. There, wa- there wasn't, like, enough of a dice roll of, like, we got to make, well, let's take Thursday nights to ourselves. It's like, let's put all our power there. It's like playing right. Risk. It's like, let's put a lot of shit in Africa and hope we win, you know? like I, I think the... I think that the 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 model that I like the worst right now in terms of TV shows, like, like I I, I I'm so happy that the way Disney Plus is doing their shows is uh, here's an episode, then you get another episode a week later, then you get another. I like that they're doing that because I do think Netflix has the worst model for releasing TV shows, which is here's 13 episodes on Friday morning at three in the morning, East coast time. Yeah, midnight, plan your weekend midnight. around this. Sickos. Watch all yeah. 13 episodes. Here's three, uh, the end of season three. Goodbye. It's canceled. We want you yeah. to get a new show. And here we're going to just crap out all the, you know, all eight hours in one day. You're going to watch it all. Like it's sort of the worst 
Um, Agreed. And now are we, just because we're more adjusted to the a, a weekly release thing, is it really... Because I know a lot of people who hate the weekly release, like younger oh, people, yeah. excuse yeah. younger, obviously, who hate the slow release or the weekly, the normal, what I would consider the normal release weekly. I, yeah, and it probably is for some people, like I, for me, and this is just where I am, like I was binge watching shows before that was a term where I would like catch up on shows through like torrenting and I was watching shows faster than anybody I knew. And I would just tear through a show and it wasn't, I was at a time when it wasn't really a normal behavior before. Like now my parents binge watch things. It's just like everybody binge watches stuff now, but to me, binge watching is sort of like part of what's fun about it to me when it happens is that it's not normal. It's not like the way that it's supposed to be. It is like, oh, you know what? I'm going to order a large pizza. And you know what? Ah, fuck it. It was going to, I was going to have it last few days, but I'll just eat the whole thing. Yeah. Making and, the and, then you, and then you kind of, you do it. And you're like, why did I do that? And you're like, oh, well, I won't do that next time. <laughs> like, right, right. And then like, uh, maybe a year later, a show comes out. You eat two slices, what, and you or watch two apps, whatever. But then a couple of years later, another like, I'm gonna binge watch. It's so real. Like, it should be. It should be shameful to binge watch something. Like, shame is not the right word because shame is a bad attitude. But I, I can't help but think like. We, we should be like, oh, man, did I just lay on my couch and watch stuff for nine hours like while the world burned? Like I, I should. I, I actually think my favorite version of a binge watch release strategy, and I, I it hasn't been employed that often, is the way that in treatment, the way HBO did in treatment, which was like a new episode every day. I think it was like five new episodes a week for like a month. Oh, wow. I and that's I fucking think cool. Here's the way they did it because if the first the, I don't I don't know about the most recent season because it ha it was released during pandemic so I don't know if it came out I don't know what the pattern was for it but when it was Gabriel Byrne hosting it he had a different patient each day of the week so there were four patients Monday through Thursday and then on Friday he went and saw his therapist played by Diane Weist and you could if you wanted like if you were a big fan of one of the actors you could just be like I just watched the Wednesday episodes and it would make sense. Because they were kind of self-contained, oh, but at the same time, if you watched if them all, you got to. If you watch them life. all, you know why he's in bad mood at the beginning of Thursday's episode because Wednesday's episode, you saw what made him be in a bad mood. Ah, oh, that's fucking and cool. I didn't know that about this show. An episode a day, and I think it's on HBO Max. So I think if you want, you can give yourself Binge. the experience <laughs> of of the discipline of like I'm going to follow this pattern. But an episode a day is still pretty intense for anything after a while. Yeah. And I, I think if I was putting out a show and I wanted it to have that like exciting, we're all going to binge watch it. I'd be like, let's do an episode every day because people can keep up with it. But it also does feel like, oh, it's kind of hard to keep up with. You got to watch an episode every day, you know? And but then there is also like a. Oh, shit. I got th like because there's also an excitement when you like a show that's weekly. Mm -hmm. Like when you sit down, you'll be like, oh, shit, Tiff, we actually missed last week's better things, too. We have two better things. And it's like, yeah, yeah. it's like and if you're like, oh, I can't watch Wednesday. And then you get to Friday and you're like, I actually have three in treatments to watch right now. That feels good, too. But it doesn't feel like if you don't watch all three, you're going to be like left. By that's the other thing, too. The, the conversations just subside like three days later. It's like pe 
Hacks doing two a week is really fun. I think the best binge model for these streamers or for most networks is you drop two or three episodes mm -hmm. and then yeah. go weekly. Yeah. You, you do. You, you drop like the first two. So you, you get like the ramp up and then you have that remaining eight come out weekly or something. Although I have to say, I really kind of didn't like that. Better Call Saul came back with a two hour with two episodes and it was after a two year break. And they were both kind of long episodes. So it was like watching, like with commercials, it was like two and a half hours or something. <laughs> it was really long. And I was like, well, now I have one less week to look forward to Better Call Saul. Like you've deprived oh, me. Oh, yeah. I, I had to dive into a big one anyway. If it was just an hour 40 instead of 220, I would have another hour 40 on the tail end to enjoy. It, yeah. yeah. It's sort of like get, if, if like you get delivered like twice as many pizzas and you're like, well, this does me no good. Just. Come back a week later with a free pizza. You know? Right, right. You want a free pizza, so we packed it up and brought it with you. It's like, oh, I can't just get it next Thursday. They're like, that's not how it works, kid. And you're like, no. Yeah. I'm like, well, I don't want to eat two pizzas. That's and I will. Oh, yeah. I have no. I can hand. I can. I can it, eat two pizzas. I can watch five episodes of Better Call But I was kind of. I was kind of mad at the end of the the when the season premiered. I was kind of mad at the end of it because I'm like, this is a lot to watch in one night. And I should be just savoring having another week of Better Call Saul. All this to say, like, these, I think Scorsese, when he's talking about, not that he's not also making legitimate points about the way that corporations and- The monolith and of uh, the corporate way entertainment and shit. Cinema yeah. versus content. But I don't think the movie studios, uh, you know, he was fairly lucky to come up during a period in the 70s where the studios were kind of, like, confused and they were able to use that confusion to make a lot of uh, weird movies that wouldn't have gotten made in the 60s or the 50s. But, like, I think there is a lot of it is, you know, there are a lot of people who are getting to try things now because of the technology, because of the resources, because of the various, there are more places to make a thing and show a thing. It's harder to get. You know, you can't, you can no longer make a movie that everybody watches the same way that you used to. Right. It's like, try to make a movie like E.T. and have it be as big a phenomenon. It was hard enough when Spielberg did it to make a movie that everybody sees and everybody loves. Right. And that was when one movie came out every other week. <laughs> like, now, <laughs> the, the, you, you know, putting aside how hard it is to make a movie of quality it's already hard to make just making a good thing is always going to be hard but now you can't even the, the culture no longer even exists that you can now you make a big thing and everybody loves it it means that a fraction of the people who uh you know it might even be more it's sort of that thing of like joe biden getting more votes than any president in history it's not because there was that much more enthusiasm because there's more people you know, it's just right, like, right. <laughs> like, like when people, it, it's funny when you see like, like Donald Trump's children questioning, like, how did he get more votes? And it's like, well, also like Trump also got more votes than most people got. There's just more people around, you know, yeah, like Trump, Trump's got more votes than a lot of winners from 40 years ago. <laughs> it doesn't change. It doesn't yeah. change the fact that he never gets more votes than the other person running against him. <laughs> right, like, right. like that's a goal that he will go to his grave, never having achieved. There'll never be a point where when you get all the people who are voting together, that there will be more of them overall voting for him. It just won't happen. Bummer brother. Sorry. That's Donnie. not to say that that's not to say that he won't become president. <laughs> no, that's the terrifying thought that I've been having or 
or arguably someone worse, someone uh, like him, oh, but slightly more capable, like our friend down in Florida. I, I used to, the most patriotic, you know, there were people who were embarrassed when they, you know, so many people got it wrong. And there was that, like, there was that sense of like, yeah, you never thought, when people were like, you never thought Trump would be president. We proved you wrong. Don't you feel stupid? I'm like, the most patriotic thought I ever had in my whole goddamn life was thinking that this country was better than that. Yeah, yeah, the only like, like, like that was that was me at my like. I genuinely was like, no, we're better than that. Enough of us are better than that. And I was like, oh, they're well. Technically, enough of us are better than that, but also not enough to make it count because of how uh, we count them. Yeah, uh, the system in which we count is uh, weirdly. Oh, okay. Well, this is okay. Bad. All right, <laughs> but I never feel bad about it. I just feel sad, and this ties into nostalgia. I feel sad because I miss that guy. That I was, yeah. Because now I miss. Now I have no. I I have no faith. Like anything could fucking happen, and I'm like, and I, and truly, tr- Trump is like a fuck. Like is a game genie. He like broke the fucking system that we know, and it's like now like anything is possible. And people who who have previously thought, ah, what my fucked up crazy idea is not possible. Those people are now like. Maybe. Yeah, wow, who knows? This fucking Trump thing worked. <laughs> I I think in in my mind, I feel here's where I feel shame. I feel shame at, like I'm a creative person. I'm an imaginative person. My whole everything I, that I uh, value sort of comes out in myself. Sort of comes out of being able to be this funny, surprising, creative person who can come up with things that people will be like, oh, that's a surprise. They laugh and they think, oh, that's interesting or whatever. <laughs> I feel bad. I feel genuine shame because as a creative person with a pretty good and pretty vivid imagination and a relatively intelligent person, I am not able to conceive of what the worst president is that we are going to get. The Ah. one, the one who's going to make me look back and be like, well, Trump was bad, but redacted is worse. Dude. (laughs) <laughs> and they are coming. Yeah, they're coming. Oh, at, like, I, I'm not sure of a lot of things in this life, but I am I am relatively sure that there's somebody on the horizon. They're, they exist now. They're alive. They're just walking around somewhere. <laughs> and it's the person that I'm going to be, I'm going to be an, hopefully, I'm going to be an old man. I'm going to be like, Oh no! The prophecy, the high and mighty prophecy I laid out has become true. Like, a gun has been elected president. An AR fifteen, ascension oh, no. AR fifteen has and been elected. Someone, president. yeah, that's the thing. It's going to be like five years from now. We're going to find out that Smith and Wesson is inventing a gun that has an AI in it, and the AI has been programmed by an alt right comedian. Yeah, and the liberals will vote for it because the gun is painted as a rainbow. So it yeah. like comes in under yeah. the auspices. The of name like- of the gun is Tolerance. <laughs> what are you going to do? Vote against Tolerance? What are you, an intolerant? No, I'm not. I vote for tolerance. <laughs> oh man, this is horrifying. To uh, this is a, that that's a fucking head game. I don't even want to play. Like I yeah. love thought experiments. Like I love, you know, like we're talking about being creative, improvising, yeah. and riffing out like uh, possible outcomes or possible backstories. That one never appeals to me because the- I know I can go some fucking dark, fucked up places 
and I know it's not far enough. I, yeah, I'm, I'm imagining. I'm imagining myself. I'm going to go ahead and imagine myself uh, uh, in the role of the uh, ineffectual, moderate but correct Democratic candidate for president, um, uh, who is running against tolerance. Uh, the the the, 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 AI, the, AI, the AR AI the AR AI that is running for president. Yeah. And I'm going to say. This is a gun. We're talking about electing a gun president simply because the Constitution didn't specify that it had to be a human being. <laughs> it's it's a gun that was invented 35 years ago, so it qualifies. You know, the patent will be put in, and they'll just wait 35 years. Yeah, uh, so it's it the newest qualify. gun show loophole. Yeah, and <laughs> and I'm going to say, mark my words, guns do one thing: they shoot. And they shoot to kill frequently. This gun and the and the gun's going to be like that is offensive. Yeah, if that's I stereotyping guns. I suppose you think I'm just going to open fire on the crowd right here, like I'm some sort of out. How many times have we had to tell you, you liberal fool, guns don't kill people. People kill people, and my opponent, sad to say, is a person. <laughs> You're like the crowd I lose, cheers. I, Boom, I people! Lose. Yay, guns! I, I lose more states than Mondale. I lose the full 50. Uh, and when Tolerance takes his oath of office, because uh, also he's a dude. Um, Can't run yeah, a woman. It's, it, it still will be. Uh, before, yeah, before a woman is elected president, we will elect a gun. Um, the, my trigger is my penis. And uh, upon taking the oath of office, uh he uh, tolerance will take the oath by opening fire on the person holding the Bible that he's swearing on. <laughs> right. And then we'll turn around. We'll kill everyone in attendance. Why'd we let him have such a large clip? <laughs> we I <laughs> voted for it because this clip was so large. Yeah. Oh man. And at that it point, I will be nostalgic for an era in which a reality show host was one, uh, uh, was once elected president because you know, he didn't do nearly as many bad things as Tolerance did. Well, it's going to be crazy because at some point we're going to be nostalgic for Trump because we're going to be like an evil idiot does less harm than an, an evil genius is going to get the job uh, at some point. Yeah, we're, we're at some point because I did have this. I had this thought and I realized it before the election that. If Trump like Trump didn't want to wear a mask because he where's that bronzer right and and if you've if you filmed on a tv show under covid you know when they you go to get your hair and makeup and then they put this special mask on you that has like a little bit uh it sort of tries to like take less makeup off but it gets makeup like yeah. some of the makeup always rubs off on the mask you get home and your mask has that makeup on it and Trump didn't want to wear the mask. I mean, there's lots of reasons. You know, nobody likes wearing a mask, but Trump wore that mask and he's like, I can't be doing this because people are going to get those photos of me. I'm going to take off my mask. And there's those photos where you see like the the hairline blows back and you see the where the skin is pale and then it goes to the dark golden orange brown. Right, right. And it was going to be a nightmare for him. And so he he was just like from the beginning, didn't want to do that. And but there's a world in which if Trump early on just decided, you know what, I'm just going to blame, I'm going to say we have to do whatever the scientists say. And if I get any pushback for it, I'll always just say, it's not my fault, but we do have to do what the scientists say, but I'll just always say that. And 
the thing that he would have had, and he wasn't smart enough to realize this, is that his own voters would have gone along with it because they love him. They would have been like, we're going to do it because we wear our MAGA masks and we do what President Trump says. And Trump, if he'd been smart enough, he would have made fun of liberals don't want to wear these masks because Trump says it's a good idea, but Trump's just doing what the scientists say. Right. And, he would paint liberals into a corner where they and, have to go like, by wearing by wearing a mask, you're saying you agree with Trump in like a weird yeah, way. Like, but yeah. most but most liberals would have been like, ah, oh, fuck, I hate that we call them, he's saying, wear your MAGAs. We're your MAGA masks. And he would have sent, I'm sending MAGA masks, even if they're just plain white masks or whatever. I think if I was Trump, I would have been like, make sure they're red. Send red yeah. masks to every house in America. Um, and, and it would be, people would be thankful, but also you'd be accidentally doing uh, fucking propaganda for them too. Yeah. Like I wouldn't have worn the red masks, but I would have been like, oh, God, I hate that I'm wearing these, but we would have, we would have all done it. We would have all done it. And there would have been nothing to run against. He would yeah. have saved, he would have saved an extra 150,000 lives. He would have been able to say, I saved an extra 150,000 lives. He would Liberals, be the president right now. He would be the president right now. Absolutely. Because there would have been nothing to run against in 2020 that would have pushed it, pushed it into Biden's camp. Um, you're a hundred percent. Wow. That's, that's terrifying to think about. And all we, all it takes is all, all it takes is a Trump who is as clever as a, as a reasonably talented improviser. Right. Right. Like, like for all you, for all the people out there, like you and I have respect for great improv, but for all the people out there who shit on improv, it's stupid. It's bullshit. It's, it's, it's whatever like that. Just know this, a moderately talented, a Trump who had gotten up to 301 at UCB would still be president. Yeah. Who knew who just wanted to keep the game alive. He could be yeah. fucking, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who Didn't just knew let how to, Game who drop? Just, <laughs> who just knew how to yes and Dr. Fauci on a couple of, not even in every scene, just enough to, to make it a decent herald. Yeah. Fuck, that's wild. That's a that's an upsetting thought, really. I'm glad. Yeah. I, I'm glad we didn't because, thank God, because Biden's able to grab the steering wheel and turn it, turn this whole country around. You know Everything what? You know what? <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing. I'm going to say this. Almost like it's so easy. Everybody's sort of like, yeah, things are terrible, but they're not as bad as they would be if he wasn't president. No, a hundred percent. And he he and, grabbed he grabbed the wheel of the ship that was about to crash. He hasn't turned it left, but he's not no, steering into the iceberg anymore. At least it's it's still grazing the side of the. It's <laughs> yeah. still one of those things. Where it's just like we're we still gonna have to take a look at the ship when we get to dock. <laughs> but I'll say this. For all the things, and you you can make a potent critique of Biden from from any ideological any ideological angle you want, but I have to say this: I am moved by the sight of a man who should be enjoying his last few years on Earth, and instead is doing this every day. Like <laughs> we are we are watching. I don't know how many days Joe Biden has left, but it's not a lot. No. I, I feel like we may all share in his last day in some capacity. This is a guy, this is a guy who doesn't seem like he's on the take, doesn't seem like he's doing this to in to make more money or some sort of grift. This is a guy who, for all of his faults that you can find, seems like he's devoting his last moments on this earth to some form of public service in a way that almost with some exceptions, almost everybody that I've seen take a dig at Biden is someone who, like me, is not doing that much to make things better. 
Agreed. <laughs> I, I, he's like, doing like, he's doing more than me. He's doing more than is, I am. But that's just greater than zero. I didn't ask to be president. That's the only other issue. And like, and when you, I and when I did, it was as a bit on the Gethard show, so it right, doesn't count. Exactly. <laughs> I was just, yeah. I, I should I was, say uh, when I say I, I of course am excluding Connor, someone who did say he wanted to be president, <laughs> some someone who did actually get votes in the state of New Jersey in the year 2012. Something that was charming at the, I have to explain to people that someone unqualified running for president in 2012 was a funny bit because yeah. we didn't think we didn't think that someone who ran as a bit could actually win back then. It now is one of the it's one of the most burned most deeply, thoroughly uh, ruined comedic premises that I can think of. Oh, yeah. It carries too much of a... Con- like, there's just too much power involved. It's it's, it's fucking... I- I'll just say this. We should get out of here soon. Uh, get to uh, some plugs and goodbyes. But I'll say this. I do not feel touched by seeing a man who should be in his last year. It fe- to me, the it, my analogy is... The quarterback is injured. We have we're in the fourth quarter, and we're looking through, and we got like Yang, Bernie, Hillary, and we got all these uh, Liz. We got all these people. We're like, ah, fuck! Not everyone will rally behind these players. It's like you know who they will though. The coach who's been retired for eight years, and it's like pull him out of the stands and make him play quarterback. And it's like this is touching, but also let the man sleep. Like, I, like I, that's what that's where I come from. But at the same time, if anyone else was going to lose, and I don't think that's necessarily true, then I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that it was Biden. Like, if that's what people think they needed to to come out to vote Democrat was Biden, then I'm glad we shifted the fucking uh i mean moved I, it a little bit that way i didn't understand it like i i always liked joe biden to some extent but i wasn't someone who was ever hoping for him to become president uh i didn't and understand I think he, it i think that vibe that you just described also explains the negativity towards him most people are like oh, yeah, i don't have any strong negative opinions of the guy either you know, right. it's like it's kind of like and that kind of lets you that might be what gets you elected going forward. It's just like, yeah, he's actually kind of harmless. And <laughs> It's like, oh, okay. But it, be it also did. It also did seem like it happened in a way that felt weirdly undeniable in the sense that it's like nobody thought he was going to win. And then all of a sudden, like two days later, they're like, I guess he's the only one. who can win. <laughs> right. right. And I'm like, I-, I do know that there's something about our system that doesn't work. Right, that there is. There's something apparent here. Yeah, there's that we're seeing a little of the scaffolding here, fam. But on a but when I see him as president, I do find it. I I can't help but think that on a personal human level, that I'm like, you should be able to have an easier day than I do. Right, right. And I don't I don't know that he ever will. No. And I have like, I some very easy days. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't say like not emotionally, but I mean like just but, but sched- just schedule workload wise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um, we were talking before we started recording about um George Lucas and yes. and nostalgia and the way it ties in. None of that was heard. It was right. all before we started recording. But I feel like it'll be satisfying for you and I to <laughs> circle back to that. Yeah, so let's get back to it. You could imagine what the first half of this is. The the setup is uh, I've spent hours talking to Connor on this machine, the, the little tiny Zoom box. But 
this is the first time he's just got a little bit of gray in his beard and yeah, just a little bit at the front and i can i i literally was like oh i should introduce him as like and he's friends with the director of star like and i was like no this the weird character stuff is for when he is george lucas when he's not yeah. he's connor you could talk to him about george lucas i was like trying yeah. to figure out how i was gonna phrase it and i was like yo drop yeah. it it's your podcast and he's his he's a person people i always say i only when I'm George, when I'm pretending to be George Lucas, I will deny the existence. I will be like, I don't know who Connor Ratliff is. Right. <laughs> but I don't do the bit from the other direction. Uh, like, I don't, I don't act like I don't host the George Lucas talk show. That's George Lucas's talk show. That was actually one of the main reasons that we never made it a podcast was because I just didn't want, I felt like most of the people who would stumble on it, if we made a podcast called the George Lucas talk show would be people who were looking for a George Lucas talk show. Right. It would, and they'd it, be so, it, it wouldn't have the visual of like, okay, that's not George Lucas and Wada. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I think, I think you're right. I think you need, that keeps you out of litigation uh, territory and also keeps you like not misleading an audience, which could lead to some issues. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like I had this feeling, like I feel like a lot of the, and I've talked about this before, I feel like at length with a bunch of people, but I I always keep coming back to it because I feel like there's a lot of people who are like my age, maybe a little older, maybe your age, who spend a lot of time being angry about Star Wars and feel like, oh, it's been ruined and it's not like in the good old days. And a lot of them are forgetting the fact that at least half of those good old days, they were also angry because it had been ruined and it wasn't as good. And, and, um, and really what I've diagnosed my, my sort of armchair psychiatrist diagnosis of a lot of angry Star Wars fans is that their feelings about Star Wars are so tied up in their feelings about their own lives. And, Star Wars, whether you have a good childhood or a bad childhood, if you like Star Wars when you're a kid, it's probably part of the good part. Like yeah. I had a good childhood, or, or it was it helped you not think about the bad part. Yeah, whatever. I had yeah. a good I had a good childhood, and Star Wars was just like the cherry on top. Right there, are, there are other kids who had bad childhoods, and Star Wars was the thing that made their childhood bearable. Yeah, and there's a I think there's a real there's a real strong reason why. I feel like when the last Jedi came out, why it was a breaking point for particularly a lot of dudes, a lot of middle-aged dudes was they, they all turned out because they wanted to see Luke Skywalker, who was their childhood hero. And the version that they saw of him was like the reflection in the mirror that they didn't want to see. You know, we all have that feeling where you catch yourself in the mirror or you see a photograph of yourself. You're like, Oh my God, am I that now? Oh uh, yeah, because, uh, unflattering angle at a weird time of day, weird lighting, too bright, yeah. too early. Like you could be like, "Shit, I'm I look like this now. This is who I, I am. This is I, bad." I, yeah, I did one of those apps a few years ago where everyone was like, "Here's what you look like if you were in a classic painting." Like, here's the classic painting that looks like you, and everyone's like sharing their fun paintings. And I did mine, and it made me so sad because I tried it a few times, and the only people that I look like in classic paintings were these older men who looked like they all had strokes. Half of their face <laughs> was like sort of sagging in a way that looked really like, it looked like every painting that I look like, I look like a dying man. And I'm like, none of these are funny. And I'm like, maybe that's maybe the, the, the camera is picking up on something. that's 
in the early stages of happening. Yeah, that you don't know about. Yeah, maybe the algorithm knows, the AI knows too much. Yeah, yeah, they're like, this guy, this is the way. And and, because I've also seen that in the aging apps. Everyone has funny photos. Here's why I look like older. Mine look like um, a nightmare. Uh, They look like uh, just horrible. They're not fun. My, my, I feel like whenever I do the old age photos, I look like an in memoriam for a wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the idea that Luke Skywalker had given up and gone into hiding and basically quit being a Jedi, quit Star and, Wars, but also was like uh, wishy washy about a previous decision in his life and like reanalyzing some choices, which is something yeah. that so, I think some of these people who are mad at Luke didn't ever do in their own lives, you know? And I, yeah. I, th- I think that's interesting because that Luke is your guy and then you see him and what's well, not, unless Han is your guy and then he dies and then Luke is yeah. your guy. And then, they, and you're like, and then he yeah. dies. And, and like, like Han's a bad dad who then gets killed by his adult son. Like, I feel like there's a lot of divorced kids who, uh, uh, divorced dads who watch the last, who watch force Awakens and last Jedi. There's a lot of those who are like, I'm 50 and my, my kids addicted to opioids. You know, like right. it's yeah. just like, they didn't want to see Kylo Ren. They didn't want to see that. That's what happened to Han and Leia. And none of us felt that way about Obi-Wan Kenobi or Yoda. Nobody was like, Obi-Wan would never run away. No, right. I would never run away. <laughs> like we had all these Jedi characters who, when things went south, they're like, "I'm getting out of here. I'm going to hide in a desert. I'm going to go hide in a swamp." Right. Luke would never run away to easily, easily the most beautiful of the fleeing Jedi destinations. Yeah, it's not Dagobah. It's not Tatooine. It's like yeah, they've Christ. all fleed. Yeah, he went to this place. It's got a community that's thriving. There's these birds. You got nipple milk on the side of the mountain. Like. This is, he was nicer to himself than Yoda, Obi-Wan were by many degrees. Also, also, what old dude or old person is not like, man, it would be sick to live on an island by myself. Like, that's the most appealing thing in the world to me. (laughs) Honestly, I think, I think for X, I don't know what the percentage is, but for X percentage of the people who hated it, if you just put a pair of sunglasses on Luke for every scene, they would have been fine with it. Yeah, there is a small, you're right. It's not zero, that percentage. It's not not zero. There are some percentages if he had a a drink in one hand and a pair of sunglasses, and if they just changed it, it was like, look, I'm done. Like, I'm out of the game. Like if he just had, it was less of an exile and more of a just a a, a bitch in retirement. Yeah, yeah. He had like a Tommy um, Bahama shirt on and like a straw hat. Uh, but it's the but it's the way. It's also you know. Um, I remember talking to Kevin Hines after the Force Awakens came out, and he was almost like apologetic about the fact that he liked it fine, but it he wasn't that excited about it. That's like and my was, exact vibe. That was how I and, felt too. And I remember saying to him. You know, Kevin, it's okay. Like, you're in your 40s. We're in our 40s now. I'm glad that I'm able to go see what is essentially a children's space movie and still have fun watching it. I'm very aware of the fact that I don't I don't immediately want to buy a toy and uh, pretend and act out <laughs> scenes with it. <laughs> right. But I do, you know, dress up and pretend to be the filmmaker every month. And that's, <laughs> that's my version of playing with a Star Wars toy now. Right. Uh, I, I also do it for an audience. It's not just for me. I do it to entertain people. And so you, you find a different way of being that ties into the thing that you liked when at an earlier age. It's, you know, like, I feel like the way to... Uh, um, and I remember saying to Kevin, like, it's okay for you to, like, you still can find things that you can like. 
You know, you're, right. you're not obligated to keep liking Star Wars until you die. It's also okay <laughs> to have like, like, I loved the Smurfs when I was a kid. I think if I tried to watch a full episode of, of the Smurfs now, I'd probably be pretty uninterested. Along those, along those lines, anyone who's like, nothing's better than the, uh, the first trilogy of Star no, four, five, and six are the best. I guarantee you to sit with your partner who's never seen it or someone who's younger than you who's never seen it, sit with them and watch the movie with them, arguably through their eyes. And just yeah. like what it took for me was I when the when the new movies were coming out, Tiffany was like, I've never even seen four, five and six. And I was like, OK, well, we're going through it. And we watched all of A New Hope. And she just is like. That's Luke Skywalker, the guy everybody's obsessed with. He sucks in this movie. He's a little bitch. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and like just seeing it from someone else's perspective. And then I'm like trying to show her Empire. And there's a lot of cool Empire is obviously way cooler. And there's a lot of yeah. cooler shit. But she's still kind of like, this is kind of boring. Aren't these guys kind of like, why are they dressed like Nazis? And I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. Like. I am. I have. I watched it religiously from like yeah. ten to sixteen. Played the card games. I I can name every single person in the cantina. Like I've read all the fucking uh, bounty hunter books. It's like no. Of course I'm going to enjoy this more than you possibly could. I if I would rather. I was going to say. Uh, I could list a thousand things I would rather do than watch the first hour of A New Hope. I'd actually rather write that list than do it right now. I'd rather, I'd have more fun making the list than I I don't need to watch that again, but that's okay. Now, if it was in a theater and I could watch it with some friends, like that'd be a fun time. If if Star Wars was on at midnight tonight, I'd watch it. Right. Uh, uh, Like at a movie theater somewhere, I'd go watch it with some friends. I wouldn't go on my own, you know? Right. Yeah. But here's the thing. This is the thing that I, I keep reckoning with though, which is that. Nostalgia is this thing that makes us feel like we have to keep getting the same thing out of the same things, or we have to somehow value the things we used to value that they can't be diminished or that somehow diminishes our experience of them or that we can't like this feeling of like, ah, new music isn't as exciting as old music, which is never been true. It's always just that there's always new things happening and it's, (laughs) On the one hand, it's okay to like what you like, but it is, and it is a, I think it's a muscle you have to exercise in some ways, just the same way as, and this is a very hypocritical thing for me to say that like, you have to exercise, exercise your body. uh, uh, I've heard that as well, (laughs) (laughs) but I do think that you have to figure out a way to use nostalgia to hold on to the good feelings, but it's also very interesting and fun. If you let it be to try to process new feelings and to try to be open. I was doing a thing when I was, when I was, um, when I was the warm up back for the Chris Gethard show, because they had a house band, I said, one of the things I wanted to do every week was we would learn whatever the number one song was on the billboard charts. And we would perform that. And it was like, a, I would always say to the audience, "These are you're the number one studio audience in television and you deserve the number one song. And we'd play whatever, the, that, a version of whatever that song was. And so I had to start listening to whatever the number one song was. And 
when you kind of get, I almost think that's like a good assignment. I feel like the country should have to listen to the top 10 songs twice a year. Like every citizen should just assign themselves, like listen to the top 10 songs on the billboard chart one time, twice a year. Yeah. Just to break your brain open and hear not nine new things or probably you, you 10. Don't, you yeah. don't have to, you don't have to like everything. You don't have to like any of it. Maybe you want, but you might find a song you really like. You might even find a song that you like as much as you like the songs you liked growing up. And, yeah, and they you, don't have the power. They don't have the brain worm power and the pattern recognition and the memory recognition. And they're still co- like new music. <laughs> it's music. People like, that's what I want to say. It's like, it's music. Anytime someone yells the shit like you're talking about, and I want to get back to the erg stuff in a sec, but uh, any one of the shit that people talk about, it's like when you were a kid, would you stand by your dad saying there's no new music? Like new music is whack. Nothing's better than the stones or whatever. You'd be like, that's not true, dad. Weezer. I love Weezer. They're good. Like, and then you'd be like, nah, that's whack. That's whack. And then, 10 years later, someone turns to you and goes, no, there's good new music coming out and you're going to take the energy. Like that's my whole ad. That's my, one of my major issues with America right now. I'm now I'm just being stoner, big swings here, but it feels like, don't you remember being younger and having the older generation telling you like, no, we should be able to say that you going, no, times are different. Now the younger generation is like, Hey, pronouns and older generations are like, relax. We don't need that shit. It's like, don't you remember when you were young and you were furious with how dumb, like I always tell any one of my friends when they're, when they're like wishy washy about some new, uh, thing that's happening in society. I'm like, Bro, just imagine this happening when you're 20 and your parents like, wouldn't you be like the old people are wrong? It's okay to be wrong. We're the old people now, but we don't need to plant our we don't need to plant our flags here and win this victory. We're the old people. We're leaving. <laughs> like get it the fuck out of the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is it is one of those things where I think like as you get older, it's there are things that happen to everybody and you have to like, everybody has that thing when you get older, where you start sort of fighting it because you feel like you're kind of fighting death. You're fighting irrelevancy. You're fight. You're trying to hold on to what you think you are. And you don't realize that like, like I think about this, I think about like Bob Dylan. Okay. Bob Dylan. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Heard of him, pal. Yeah. There was a point in the 90s where he made an album called Time Out of Mind. And before the album got released, he almost died. And the and the album came out, and half the songs were about death. And people were like, oh, shit, like, what did he know? And like, this could have been the death album, whatever like that. And that is now a mid-period Bob Dylan album. <laughs> right, right. Like, he's made so many albums since then. Like, if you were if you're following his career, the amount of stuff that's been released, even just archival stuff, whatever like that, that like he's had a, the length of other people's careers. He's had five other lengths of people's entire music careers. Like there are groups that exist for three years and then they're done. (laughs) And the, and I think about that in terms of like who you are as a person, that one of the problems with getting older is that at a certain point, there's a temptation to sort of like, well, this is who I am and I'm not going to change now. 
and that you feel like you're just going to glide the rest of the way on your identity. And the, and sometimes it, 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 uh, that becomes a sort of like, fuck it. I'm in my last few years and I can do whatever I want. And and right. you do see that some, you know, I, I keep reading about the Frank Langella stuff about him getting fired from Netflix. And it very much reads of this guy thought he could coast and do whatever he wanted for his last few years. And no one was going to stop him. And he's outraged that he wasn't able to just make whatever jokes he wanted and touch whatever body parts he wanted and that he could make everybody feel like shit and that nobody would be like, you know what? We warned you and we asked you and right. now we, we don't want to have you around. He's like, well, now you've ruined my career. I'm like, yeah, but we warned you and we asked you and we don't like having you around. And nobody owes uh, Frank Langella having to be around him or having to work with him, you know? And I think there's that thing about like when you get to a certain age working at trying to stay present and trying to keep learning and seeing if maybe, you know, wouldn't it be something if you could be a better person at 60 or 70 than you were at 40 or 50, that doesn't happen without strain and effort because it's going to mean you're going to have to be different. And that hurts. It's it's going against everything your biology is telling you to like, because part of it is you got to keep growing up. Like part of what sucks about being a kid and being a teenager and being in your twenties is that you feel like you're constantly struggling. And when you get to middle age, there's some sense of like, look, I've already, I don't want to keep fighting. I don't want to keep struggling. I I am who I am. I figured it out. I know what I like. We won. We're now in charge. We're this, we're that, you know, there's sort of that (laughs) feeling of like now it like, there is that thing of like, um, like baby boomers have, something that is very funny to me, which I, which, you know, baby boomers couldn't believe it when okay boomer became a thing because baby boomer, there's a certain kind of baby boomer that literally was like rock and roll is here to stay. (laughs) They're kind of like, (laughs) they have this mentality of like, we made this like, uh, rebellious music that changed everything. Yeah. (laughs) And, but it's like, even rock and roll was like, the rock of the 1970s wouldn't look at like Buddy Holly or like like uh oh Bill Haley and the Comets as if right, that was right. cool. It's not yeah. like Zeppelin fans would look at a one for the money, a two for the and think like they think that sucks. Who cares about that? Like even within the few generations of rock and roll music that existed. Yeah, not even a ge- not even a true genre change. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and people it's unrecognizably uh different and yeah people- the rock and roll of the 60s like not the artists because i think like uh, the artists had respect for like even the stuff they were rebelling against they were kind of like yeah i liked it even if their po even if the pose was like i'm deconstructing it right they right. still would be you know punks would still sort of be like oh my god it's paul mccartney <laughs> you know like there'd right, still right. be he's still um, good at music yeah <laughs> yeah um but the i think it's more in the audience and the culture every generation of rock and roll was sort of like fuck the music of ten years ago, right? Like We're doing something stuff. different now, yeah. But baby boomers having this sort of like rock and roll will never die, and I'm like no, rock and roll is like Dixieland jazz. Rock and <laughs> <Right>. roll <laughs> is is rock and the- <laughs> like their rock and roll is like is like oh, um, it's it's sort of like this, you know, like where it's like it's this like gramophone sounding at these points. This like niche genre of music that 
uh, and the idea that you were going to like, like what could be the idea? I think that you're going to have to give up the old stuff. I mean, this was the message of the, of the last Jedi, let the past die, kill it. If you have to, that was the message. And they did not fucking like that. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, you can still like whatever, whatever good feeling that you have about the stuff you grew up with, you can hold on to that stuff. It's, it's still more fun. Like it, 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 I'll never lose the feeling that I have for when I was getting into Elvis Costello, when I was in high school and college, and I still get the thrill from those records and that it puts me in a time and a place and stuff like that. But when I hear a new song and I like it, it's a different kind of excitement, even though part of the thing I think people rebel against is it's not going to excite me in that same way. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to Streetside Records at 10 a.m. On, I'm not going to call Streetside Records at 10 p.m. on a Monday night to make sure they have a CD. Yeah, you know, no. <laughs> like I'm never again going to have. I'm going to hope same... the new Chainsmokers is is stocked <laughs> tomorrow at Sam Goody at Roosevelt Field Mall. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I, I feel, I feel you on that, and it's also like you liking the new music does not mean we all hate Elvis Costello now too, and that's like the like the other thing I think people like there's room, believe it or not, people there's room for new art and old art. We've been talking about it every twenty years for two hundred years, <laughs> like and and here's a helpful thing. I think sometimes people think I don't like new music as much because when they hear new music, even if they like it, it doesn't thrill them the way it did when they were 22 right, or 16 or whatever. Right. Cause but, nothing does. <laughs> yeah. Cause nothing does. It's also, there's also like, I watched the new trailer for the new mission Impossible movie and it's pretty exciting looking. And there's a shot where Tom Cruise is running and I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he does it. I can't run for anything i can run i can run I, i've always looked stupid running I'd never yeah you don't want to cool you don't run. you don't need to show it in a but film yeah <laughs> here's the thing there was a point in my uh early 30s where i snapped a uh, i was i was crossing 23rd and park i was walking home from my bookstore job to my apartment crossing 23rd and park in manhattan and the light switched from walking symbol to blinking don't walk symbol when I was like a quarter of the way across the road. So I transitioned into what I would call a light sort of hop slash jog. Just, yeah. you know, that little thing where like, oh, I got to go a little faster than I'm going. It, it's I, arguably just to let the cars know. I know, yeah. I know, I know. I'm yeah, moving. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. I'm not going to bust a sweat because I still got six blocks to walk. But I just want you to know. Yep, yeah, yeah, I'm hustling. Yeah, got it. Got it. Just, yeah. It's just like don't worry. Don't yeah, yeah. don't get upset. I'm going to be gone before you get the green. Yeah. And I felt something pop in my leg, and I Oof. couldn't finish a step. I collapsed to the ground, and then I realized, oh no, I've collapsed to the ground in front of cars. I don't know if they saw it happen. And I would hate to die because someone was changing the radio station and they didn't notice that someone <laughs> fell to the ground directly in front of their car. Oh God. Oh God. Yeah. So frantically I crawl. I realize I cannot stand. I cannot walk. One of these legs, something is wrong. I crawl and, and you know, in a, you know, you don't like to make contact with the surface outdoor surface ground anywhere in New York. 
Yeah, it's anywhere, all, it's all almost been, anywhere, and then New York City, the, and then yeah, New York City it's all, Street. It's it's all been peed on. It's all been peed on, <laughs> yeah. and peed on, vomited on, etc. But in that moment of like, I survival instinct kicks in. I scurried like a like a wounded animal to the corner, like um, like the way like a zombie with no legs like pulls their way across the floor, but fast. And I pulled myself to the curb and then I realized whatever has happened, I cannot walk. And I hailed a taxi from sitting on the curb and I pulled myself into the taxi. And then I pulled my, I was like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, on the Quaalude. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and I, I literally like dragged myself up the stairs. I lived on the fourth floor of this building and I dragged my, there was, it was a nice building. So the stairs were nice. It was like nice, cold stairs, clean. And, uh, so it wasn't like disgusting or anything, but I dragged myself. And then for like two weeks, I couldn't walk. I just dragged myself around the apartment. And when you, when something like that happens, you never really run again. Yeah. It's too triggering. I I'll, I'm generalizing. I I should make this. I never really run. again. Right. (laughs) But I I do know what that, that is true. That'll knock, that'll make running a thing you don't want to do. It just, I have a muscle memory of what it was, was a mild calf strain. I was worried Oof. it was like my Achilles tendon or something. Mild calf strain doesn't sound bad, but you can't walk when you have a mild calf strain. No, no, no. That's one of those things that it also feels like a fucking bullet or a needle in the middle of your calf, too. It doesn't hurt when you're not doing using the leg, like yeah. you're not in constant pain. But the second you try to use it, it is like someone just driving a knife into your leg. And that has meant I, I, could run but it would take a lot like it would take fear or like i've even had that thing where i've missed trains because i just can't bear to i know i can make the train if i run but i'm like can't do it even though this is going to ruin my i'm going to miss i'm going to be late for an audition i'm going to be late for a (laughs) show or a meeting but i can't do it because i'm just too afraid so there are things that change as you get older and then you just have to give those things up and it you know it might be that i grew up laughing at bill cosby jokes and bill cosby might just be like my leg in the sense of like i can't run anymore same way like i give that up i can't can't laugh at bill anymore yeah i can't laugh at i I, my my i i know too much about what he actually is to enjoy his observations even though objectively he was a smart and talented performer who did a lot of great work and there may be someone else out there who's like i can still listen to all the old records and i still love them yeah and you know i've watched i've watched roman polanski movies after knowing what he did i don't yeah. like most of them there was a movie i really liked called frantic a harrison ford movie from the 80s love, that i really love liked. that movie <laughs> i think it's a gr- great movie but i'll tell you this I wouldn't assign that petition that everybody signed not too long ago where they were like, let them back in the country. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> wow. A lot of filmmakers that I wouldn't think uh, would assign this petition, sign this petition. Um, yeah. The, I do think it's, I don't think he should be allowed to come back in the country. I don't think without that, getting you know, like, in trouble. Finally. I, th- yeah. I think, I think being sentenced to making films in Europe for the rest of your career is one of the lighter sentences for the crime he committed. Um, I don't think at bare minimum, here's what I would say to the people who signed that petition a few years ago, you are protesting that the sentence for his crime was I exile you to Europe where you shall make films for the rest of your career. It's like he hasn't, he suffered enough living a, like, the life, a, a, 
a a life a dream like life like a life I would dream of it, like literally live in, literally live in Europe his, and make movies. <laughs> his punishment is the thing that if it was written into a novel as like a character's dream, you would be like, "That's your dream." Yeah, you would like, believe it. <laughs> people say like, "I'd love to go just live in Europe and make films the rest of my life." You know, like I'd like to make a film. Yeah, <laughs> and if it has to be in Europe, I'm game. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 amazing that if you think of any film that he ever made, that there wasn't a, another filmmaker who could have made it. They would have been like, you know what? They never did. Um, <laughs> the um, yeah, but it is that thing of like, I mean, we've covered so many things in this because nostalgia. I feel like nostalgia creeps into everything. It creeps into our, creeps into our art, our politics, and, the way we, and it's it, at the forefront of a lot of our conversations the hours not meaning just you and i but like societies like because art art versus commerce has nostalgia uh underneath it politics pro- progress has nostalgia against it uh yeah. like you know so, like two things that sound ostensibly good progress and nostalgia weirdly I, I, butt heads yeah that's great and i actually think the goal is to reconcile those two things in the best way possible to not for everything, for art, for politics, for interpersonal relationships. You're right. It's, it's, it's like, um, the ideal, the ideal thing is to figure out a way to keep the, to use nostalgia in a way that actually contributes to progress by learning from what's good, by learning from what's bad. And trying to uh, use that to inform your notion of progress, as opposed to using nostalgia as this cudgel to sort of like beat back progress to like, no, no, we want things to be like they were. We never really want things to be like they were. Human history's terrible. Um, that doesn't mean you can't like some of the things that happened or some of the things that were produced. Right. <laughs> you know, you can think the pyramids are impressive and awe-inspiring. That doesn't mean you want to set up another work project where those are the conditions in which you make a thing. <laughs> Fuck. Like, yeah. like, like, let's say your new idea is big pyramids. You can't make them the way they made those. No. No. <laughs> Like if someone was like, Elon Musk is like, I want to make new pyramids. You'd be the first question would be like, Elon, let me see your business plan. What's your method? He's like, I want to make them the way they made the original ones. No, no, we don't do that anymore. We don't do that anymore. Elon, (laughs) you got to come up with a new way, a better way. They'll be too expensive. Well then guess what? Maybe we don't make pyramids as big as they used to be made. (laughs) Maybe you can make some tiny pyramids that you can just make on your own. What's wrong with that? (laughs) <laughs> it's so real that uh i fucking we could it could be we could talk for so long about nostalgia that we end up start being nostalgic for the early parts of this conversation like it is I already i already did that i already got yeah the we already said, felt nostalgia to- for our pre-roll convo that's so true <laughs> yeah well here's the thing let's come back in 20 years after podcast is a dead art form and just uh listen to this and review it i'm already I mean, the iPod died this last week. It killed the iPod. <laughs> I know. And here's the thing. I already thought the iPod was dead because I never acknowledged the iPod touch. I, to me, that was a fake iPod. To me, an <laughs> iPod had a click wheel. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't like the touch screen as much as I liked the click wheel. And I, I, th- I mean, it's podcasts 
are called podcasts because, because we of the iPod. On the iPod. <laughs> Most people, I feel like that's like an old fact already. Like, I feel like there's so many people who either don't make that connection or have no fucking idea what an iPod is. I know, dude. It's it's a it's a weird it's a weird thing to just the idea of tapping two fingers on your wrist as a sign to be like, hey, can you let me know the time? That's going out as well. It's somehow it's, like, it's, it's still around, po- but people pod- don't even know pod- what watches are. Podcast as a term for a thing is like the term horseless carriage for right. automobile. <laughs> right, right. Where it's like it's already referencing a dead thing. Right. And and you know, it's funny because I, I was explaining on my podcast, I, I was talking to uh Tom Hanks's dance teacher from high school, and she was like very like she didn't know what this was. I was trying to explain to her what I was doing. And she's like, but what what is a podcast? And we included a section in the episode, but there was a much longer section was not included where I spent a solid 20 plus minutes explaining to her what podcasts were, what the point of them was. And, you know, it was and answering all her questions. And it was like, you know, when I was growing up, people referred to the golden age of radio and people lamented that, well, in the old days, you you had radio shows like, uh, you know, Jack Benny would do like radio comedy and you'd have like uh, War of the Worlds by Orson Welles was this big thing on the radio, this big event. And just such a shame that now it's just songs from records or it's like news and sports. <laughs> and within my lifetime, the golden age of radio essentially came storming back to life. It's just that it's not broadcast radio. It's radio on demand. Yeah, that's what podcasts are. That, we like, called it. I, uh, Gino Lombardo uh, early on in his comedy bang bang run didn't know what podcasts were and eventually learned them to be considered DVR'd radio. <laughs> yeah, and if you could if you could show the people whose careers died when radio was killed by television and the movies, if you could show the if you could like go back and get fibber mcgee and molly and bring them back to bring them into the future into 2022 they would be like oh radio came back like we could maybe start a show like fibber mcgee and molly could come back as a podcast you know and we could also we could build an audience over time like it would you know like people can listen whenever they want like the idea that you could listen to the lone ranger while jogging there's no primetime podcasts yeah, there's primetime radio like drive time radio, but there's no podcast is like you listen to what you want when you want along those same lines. And then we really are going to get out of here. Old man conversation. Yeah. Uh, my college major was radio TV film in because I graduate. I graduated in 04. And then by like 06, it was comical to have the words like the word radio in your major. Yeah. And now that was 06. 10 years later, 11, 12 years later for me, 2016, 2017, I start doing podcasts and ostensibly my career is more radio than TV and film. And I'm yeah. I, something that I was like, that's so du-. in my own, not even my whole lifespan in my post collegiate life. Radio has like the audio medium has become a joke. Like, cause when I was in high school, Opie and Anthony and Howard Stern were all big deals. They kind of died off. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in my own like li- uh, post-college life, radio came back in a new weird way. And, and, it's, and I think that is where the idea of nostalgia and progress is beautifully demonstrated, which is the, uh, there was a period where people were like, it's done. 
and people were, yeah. it was, it was a, sh- you know, I even, as a kid, I would listen to radio, old time radio shows. I would get cassette tapes of all, cause my dad liked all that stuff. And we would start there. I remember we would drive to my grandma's house and there was one radio station on like Saturday afternoons would play old radio shows. It was like, this must've been AM radio. <laughs> like just, <laughs> I don't know who was doing this, but it was like, we'd listen to, and I'm like, these are really funny. Like, like, like the 2000 year old man with Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner. That is a great example. I mean, those were records rather than radio, but like, any two people who have an idea as funny as that now would have a hit podcast. Like right. that's, that is like the, that format is alive and well. And there was a period where it was, there was a period of 30, maybe 40 years where it was completely dead or gone. Yeah. You know? And yeah. now it's back and so many parallels, so many obvious like uh, echoes and reflections of previous shit. Like, easier I mean, Howard easier... Stern is back. Sirius XM owns Earwolf. Like, <laughs> yeah, Howard Stern is in radio again. Like, it's radio is back. Easier to make, easier to listen to, better quality overall. Like, there's certain things that don't exist anymore, but uh, they're not necessarily things that you need. Um. You know, you're not the days of, you know, there's no podcast that have a full orchestra that records the, uh, the theme song every week. Or something. <laughs> right. But, right. <laughs> but the, you know, who knows? Maybe there's somebody out there who has that as an idea and will m- incorporate. I that guarantee in- there is a podcast where an orchestra puts out a, a song. A, a, I guarantee that exists. No, but I just mean someone who has like a comedy podcast. It's like, well, we hired an orchestra. And right. Here that's every true. Week. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, um, Connor, you mentioned your podcast and we also mentioned you, uh, dressing up as a one lovely, uh, director of Howard, the duck. Want to talk to us? Direct. Little- he just produced, he just produced Howard, the duck. Oh, thank you for correcting me there. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I don't want you getting angry letters in the mail. I please, if I ha- sounded sarcastic, I was serious. I appreciate you correcting me there for that exact reason. I just don't want to yeah. hear it. Uh, but, uh, what, what do you got going on? Where can the shithead uh, listeners of high and mighty track you down? And if they're not all, I'm assuming they already are on your, the, podcast the and- George Lucas talk show, which is just exactly what it sounds like. Although, uh, not if you think, Oh, it's a bunch of people talking about star Wars. We've actually talked about star Wars more in this conversation than we do on most episodes of the George Lucas talk show. Yeah. I've done a handful of George Lucas talk shows and this is the most you and I have yeah. ever uh, talked about star Wars. And it's the first time I'm talking to you and you're not in character as the creator of star Wars, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just a weird, a weird, fun, uh, crazy, uh, talk show that started right. as a UCB show and now is like a, a Twitch show. You can find, you can watch old, you can dip into any old episodes on uh, our YouTube channel. Uh, and I have a podcast called Dead Eyes, uh, which is um, a podcast that uh, begins as me uh, trying to solve the mystery of why Tom Hanks fired me from Band of Brothers. Uh, 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 and the reason that I was told was because I had dead eyes. Um, and there's three seasons of that that are available. And spoiler will- alert for the third season without giving any. I can, I'm not going to give away any content spoilers, but guest spoilers are. Yes, you get uh, fucking Chet Hayes' dad to sit down with you <laughs> and actually talk to you. <laughs> yeah, and I would recommend, uh, uh, people have said, a lot of people have said, they've a lot of people have been binging all three seasons this year just to get to the Tom Hanks episode. 
And generally speaking, people have really been enjoying the journey of, I'm hearing a lot of people who it's weird to think of, but people who listen to all three seasons in like a number of days and, um, and a lot of, I was not expecting how many emotional reactions people have had. I, I do chalk up some percentage of that to the times in which we are living Yeah, that, but also the, 30 hours in your ears, 25 hours in your ears. That's the, that's the shit that that's the parasocial relationship. Whether, I, whether I'm going to write on Reddit about the inner mind workings of Connor Ratliff of like, do you think he was actually upset with so-and-so when he said no, but will I be in your headspace listening to your voice directly plugged into my brain for that long? Like that's like in the Fisher King, the guy is like radicalized by the Howard Stern person to like, and it's like that shit makes sense. Someone's in your ear saying buy athletic greens every fucking week. You're going to buy athletic greens eventually. Yeah. Promo code. So, and and we did we did we did get to a point where people were like we did it like like I was like oh yeah people have fully absorbed the like we got to Tom Hanks like yes we all did it <laughs> right um, um and I and I will say it's funny because for a podcast that the premise involves me getting fired uh you know we get to this episode thirty one which is this very you know feature length very exciting conversation with Tom Hanks. And I've seen so many people announcing that it was a series finale and that the podcast is over. And I've had articles. Uh, New York Magazine had wrote a very good review that at the end almost like dared me to keep making episodes. They were sort of like, this is What do you even do at this point? (laughs) Yeah. They they literally were like, it was a really beautiful review. Very well written. I I loved it. But then at the end, they were like, I will miss this podcast uh, if this is truly the end. But to continue going on would be to risk staying too long at the party. And I was like, uh, don't. And I'm like, no, you don't get to fire me from my own podcast. I, I got to say, <laughs> Connor, we don't know each other. That, we yeah. don't know each other that well. I don't know if you're a guy who stays late at the party, but I know you're a guy who doesn't mind waiting into some long ass entertainment territory. So I'm not. A, <laughs> I, yeah. I think you're up to the challenge and I think you can handle doing another thing. 31 episodes after the Hanks conversation. I think, I, I think what I'll say going forward, because some pe- I literally got into, there was someone, and we ended up having a nice conversation on Twitter. There was someone recently who tweeted at me on Twitter. I was announcing that, you know, I'm getting ready, I'm we're going to do a, a live Dead Eyes show in LA, and I was promoting it, and someone who follows me and who had been nice, I'd had a nice interaction with once before, they liked the podcast, they tweeted at me, um, it's time for you to stop doing this podcast. You already had a ton of filler episodes and there's no point in continuing after you got Tom Hanks. And I started engaging with this person. I was like, um, what do you do for a living? And, and before you answer whatever it is, I think you should quit your job because I think (laughs) you're done. And like, this is basically what you're saying to me. Uh, You're telling me an actor who spends my entire career just waiting to maybe get hired for a job. And I have this one thing that I kind of have a say in whether I can do more of it and I'm going to do more of it. The (laughs) the thing I'm going to do, this guy was like, how you've already solved it. And I'm like, well, basically the Tom, it's no longer going to be an investigative. I'm not going to keep investigating why I got fired from man and brothers. I got the answer, but it's just going to become an origin story but I can keep like exploring failure and disappointment in right. show, particularly in show business. Um, and we'll just figure out different ways to do different stories. Most of the first three seasons 
was not me actually investigating Seeking the mystery. Tom. Yeah, it's, yeah, you didn't make cereal for finding Mr. Hanks yeah. or whatever. So that will continue at some point um, for anyone who thought it was over. Fuck yeah. And if you haven't uh, listened, blast through, become parasocially attached to Connor. Check out the uh, fucking uh, the George Lucas talk show and check out the new episodes on Pulse, Pulse Year's Twitch, the best friend zone or friend zone. Friend One of those? Zone. Friend yeah, zone. friend zone. Yeah, that, but it is the zone. best. I'll go ahead and say it is the best of, of all the friend zones. Of all the friend zones, to me, I haven't been to many, but that seems to be the best of the friend zones. Seems friend like zone. the best one. Uh, Connor, thank you so much. Your social media will be tagged in these posts. Great. I'm John Gabris. Uh, check out my other podcast, Action Boys and the Movie Buff. And also check out 101 Places to Party Before You Die, premiering Thursday, July 14th at 10.30 p.m. on True TV. Bye, shitheads. That was a headgum podcast. In a part of the world where there are no rules. Holy shit. Holy shit, guys. I'm so pumped. I definitely have not watched this since I rented it on VHS in 92. Strangers united by the threat of death. We got all the fucking major players. Seagal. Vladimir Putin is a good man. Arnold. Here, come. Give it to me. I need you to cream pie me now. Stallone. People are loving this movie. (laughs) It's got a lot of heart. You're mentally irregular. (laughs) Now, somewhere... Somehow, someone's gonna pay. I would fucking love for my wife to, like, see me rip a guy's throat out. But they didn't count on one thing. This movie's fucking insane. (laughs) It's how you know it's a good movie. You have to do almost all the work yourself to figure it out. There's a fantasy component. There's some sword fighting. There's some lightning. Bam, 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 bam. There's a new game in town. You wake up after a few years, and then you don't even know who you are anymore. We're going to be making Terminators. <laughs> We're going to make a really great deal with the Xenomorphs. What? I don't hate them, but I've been in a room. Yes, I understand. This is now the 20th ending of the movie. I am dark. I'm your dad. <laughs> Action, boys. Boys will be boys. Subscribe here for bonus content and more free stuff from behind the paywall. To get new episodes, become a patron at actionboys.biz. Do it. Do it! Come on! Do it now!